What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pixar Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Riv and Jack Bartek. And this is now episode 101. Jack is back on this special episode where we have a lot of things to cover and talk about. To start off the show, we'll talk about hidden draft gems and prospects we're not so high on. Then we'll transition to a major trade that went down between the Grizzlies and Pelicans and talk about a potential Bradley Beal trade. Because there is a boatload of trade rumors, we've made a new segment on the show where we'll briefly talk about NFL and NBA news. And after talking basketball, we'll finish off the show discussing Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson. This is now episode 101. As I said earlier, Jack is back on this special show. Riv, you know what to do. You know where the applause is. It's the light blue one. He's back on the show. So how's everything been with you, Jack? I know we talked about it briefly when you were here, but for the audience to know. It's going well, man. Just been grinding, doing a lot of different work this summer and happy to be back. I miss this and I'm glad I got the opportunity. Yeah, this is this is a, a great reunion because last time we did a podcast, we were at 3,000 subscribers. When Jack came on the show, we were at 300. Then we grew all the way. For real? Yeah, we were at 300. <laughs> when Jack came on the show, we were on 300. I remember Sucked. when we had a Chargers video that blew up. Oh, my and God. And we, we, we jumped all the way up to 1,000. Oh, yeah, we, we cut a cake here as well. A lot of great <laughs> memories, a lot of great memories. And I think I this show it. is going to be dope, man. You guys have been killing it. I love watching, even though I haven't been able to be a part of it lately. I've loved watching. You guys have really been doing awesome, and I'm glad that I was able to get back on here. Yeah, we appreciate it. Now, you know, it's crazy because when we used to do our full episodes, our episodes used to get even a live stream, like 600 views. Now, they're touching 1,000, which is pretty surreal. Like, that's what we used to be happy about with the segment. <laughs> now, it's like touching the full episode is crazy that... It means people, people are really actually watching. Yeah, the full it's crazy days. that people listen to us talk for hours on end. It's like two, three surreal. hours in. Like, yeah, it's surreal. It is surreal. It feels like a lot recording it, so I can only imagine what it feels like watching it. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit better watching it just because, yeah, because people, of the entertainment value. People on Spotify are just listening to us; yeah. they don't see the reaction and stuff. Energy. So it's like, ugh, I couldn't do it on Spotify. I'm sorry. <laughs> three hours is crazy. <laughs> but yeah, on this special show. Like we said, we're going to talk about hidden draft gems and we'll name about two or three because I think, you know, we're not going to name a boatload of players. And Riv, you are the draft guru on this uh, on this panel because I know you watch a lot of college, college basketball. So I'm curious to hear your hidden draft gems. Well, obviously, number one, <laughs> you're not going to like this. <laughs> it's probably Sharif Cooper. Yeah, number one, I think it's Sharif Cooper. I think with his combination of playmaking and finishing at the basket and his speed, I think this is a guy that you really can't miss on. And I think another guy is obviously Trey Mann. You know, I think people with these lottery guys, you know, I think people are very high on the first five guys being named and they're not really talking about the guys who can be in the lottery at the, late in the lottery or could drop out a lot. I think Trey Mann and Sharif Cooper are two guys that come to my mind because I, I watched them a lot this year. Trey Mann specifically, I think his combination of playmaking and shot creation, I think it's incredible. And his size is built for the NBA. So, you know, I think him coming in, in the right spot, you know, like in my mock, in my draft, I got him going to New York. 
you know, I, that's that's where I got him picked at, and I think that would be great. You guys need a point guard. You need some scoring because, God, you guys are horrible <laughs> on offense. But I think, you know, his game just fits that swaggy NBA coming in, and I think he'll be fit for the NBA game. But those are my two guys. I don't think there's, like, anybody late that I would say would be probably a gem. I know who you're going to name, and I can't wait to hear who you're going to name because it's crazy. But those would be my two guys right now. Uh, I, I got two guys that I thought of. So the first guy is Aaron Henry from Michigan oh. State. Yeah, he's awesome. He's like a late second round pick in the uh-huh. mocks that I've seen. And I just think he's got a really good NBA body, 6'6", six, 6'10", six, six, wingspan. He's great defensively. I remember watching early in the season when they played Illinois, he locked up Ayo Desumu, who was one of the most explosive <clears throat> guards in all of college basketball this year. And he wasn't that efficient this year, but he also took on a big load of the offense. I think for his value late in the second round, I think he's got a much higher ceiling than where he's going to be picked at. So I think he's a guy to look at late. And another guy that I was thinking is Jason Preston from Ohio. We saw him in the tournament, what he could do, and his story all year long. I believe it was also a game against Illinois Mm -hmm. earlier in the season that he went out and scored 31, and they upset who was then, I believe, undefeated in the best team not, in the country. not defeated. They were so, definitely one of the best in the country. So, I mean, he showed that he could do it against better competition. So I understand he was playing at Ohio, not a very highly regarded school in college basketball circles, but he was balling out against really good schools. He can score the basketball. And, you know, I think there's just something about that scoring gene that you can't teach in certain guys. And I think you get him in an NBA program, he could be a guy that can really develop well. I love your two picks, and I love one of yours, not the other one, Sharif. <laughs> On my hidden draft gems, I had Terrence Mann, so I won't go too in-depth in that. To me— Did you just I, call him Terrence Mann? Oh, Trey Mann. <laughs> I apologize. But to me, Trey Mann reminds me a lot of Spencer Dinwiddie. And I have said—I have made this comparison. Riv disagrees with me. <laughs> but when I watch Spencer and I watch Trey Mann play, I see a lot of similarities in how they play the game. Aaron Henry was on my list as well because I think Aaron Henry, he reminds me of two players. He reminds me of one mostly. That's Justice Winslow. He reminds me of, yeah, he reminds me a lot of Justice Winslow. And I think Winslow, if he wasn't that high of a pick, we wouldn't be thinking of him how we think of him now. And Aaron Henry, if he can have a similar impact and just be a great role player, I think he can do that. And the other comparison was like a Tobias Harris light because Tobias Harris was really raw coming out of college. But I like Aaron Henry a lot. I think he's going to be a steal. I like his grit, and I think he could play like you look at the NBA now. I think he could play a really good maybe small ball four where he's going to defend a couple different positions, can handle the ball in the offense, and not be a liability at the big man spot. Yep, I agree. So now to kind of give some uh, a little bit of a difference, I actually had four players, but you guys mentioned two, so I only have two players that I'm going to mention, but three because he just came to my mind. The first one is Quentin Grimes. I think Quentin Grimes, a highly titled prospect, transferred from Kansas, at Houston, averaged 17 points per game, close to 18, six rebounds, two assists, shot 40% from the field and from three. I think Quentin Grimes is NBA ready right now and can contribute. And the other one is Sandra Ramukelishvili. I think Sandro. Yeah, and I think, look, I'm not being a homer. I think Sandro has a unique skill set and. At Cian Hall, he shot 34% from the three this past season, but that doesn't reflect how good of a shooter he is because he was getting doubled. He took, he took on a big load. Mm. But I think Sandro playing a small ball five, a point four type role, he can really thrive. It's really about defense for him. 
And the third player I'm going to mention is Herb Jones. I think Herb Jones, I know whatever team drafts him is getting an elite on-ball defender. It's just about his offensive game. If he can develop his offense, he can be really good. But defensively, he is there. And I'll throw another one out there, Cameron Thomas. I like Cameron Thomas' game. You know, I thought you were going to name Josh Primo. I don't know why, but I thought that was somebody who you were going to name. I haven't mentioned Josh Primo to you at all. I just felt like you were going to steer towards Josh Primo because he's been getting talked about a lot lately. Wait, so what, that was the player you thought I was going to name in the beginning of the segment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause I he, thought you thought I was going to name Aaron Henry. No, I knew you were going to name Aaron, but you picked him in, in your mock. You had him in the first round, so I didn't think he was a hidden yeah. gem. You think he's going to go in the first round? No, no. that's where he picked him. He's I picked good. him with the 21st pick. <laughs> yeah, so that's what wow. Knicks. That was yeah. way too high. He's going to be there in the second round. He's going to be there at pick 32. It's going to be a steal if a team could get him in the second round, I think. And it's funny with Quentin Grimes, you know, because, you know, you full, bringing it back full circle, him walking into Kansas, his first game or two, he was a top 10 pick, you know, walking in. Very early mock draft, he was projected to be a top ten trick, oh, blah, top ten pick, and then everything just sailed downhill from that point. And he had to make the transfer and make the adjustment. He's still a pretty young guy, you know. He's not old, and I think you are right. He is definitely NBA ready right now. And I I like that he went through that experience because there's so mm-hmm. many cautionary tales in college basketball of guys who were high recruits go to a big school, transfer out, and then you never hear their names again. Transferring from a place like Kansas to Houston. To take them to where they went to, I think it shows that he could handle that adversity that you're going to have to deal with at the NBA level. And also at Houston, they played almost an NBA-type style up and down the way mm-hmm. teams in the league run it now. Same, so, another person who did that was Javon, too. Yeah, so so he's ready mm-hmm. to step in and take that pace. Yeah, not only that, but they made the tournament. Yep, did they, they? They made some noise as well. They were tough. Houston was very tough. Team. They were better than Kansas this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So they, they had a deep run in the tournament. And they won some some gritty. They games. played. Mm-hmm. I think they was like every position was six five and up. They just played a bunch of wings. They didn't have a real big, just like five wings out there. The Knicks worked them out. For real. Yeah. Would you I second like round? That. He fit. He fits. No, with first, round, first round. First round. Yeah. Oh, so you might yeah. The, first. Okay. the Knicks worked out. I believe they didn't work out Sharif Cooper, which is why I don't think he's going to draft there. They worked out Chris Duarte, Cam Thomas, Trey Murphy. Didn't work out um, Trey Man. I don't. I'm not sure. I think they did. They brought him in for one workout, and also uh, Quentin Grimes. They brought him in for a workout. They Listen, probably brought man, in a like few more. Listen, Isaiah like Jackson too. Isaiah Jackson. At 19, too. if Trey Man is there, and you guys go somewhere else, I don't know what to. T- I don't I know think what to tell you. If these two players are there, we're gonna go Chris Duarte, Trey Murphy combination. Over Trey Man, you're picking Chris Duarte. I. Really believe the the Knicks are not going Trey Man. My money is on these players. It's going to be these are the players the Knicks are thinking about: huh. Trey Murphy, Chris Duarte, Jaden Springer, Jared Butler, and Quentin Grimes and Isaiah Jackson. So Jaden Springer before Trey Man, Tom Thibodeau style. That's who he. Jaden Springer, Jaden Springer is a Tom Thibodeau guy. Okay, because Tennessee plays yeah. Tom Thibodeau way. Yeah. That's that's one so. thing about Tom Thibodeau is like he will pick guys that fit his system over talent. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah. we saw that this year with the way they, they built their roster out. It wasn't the yeah. most talented team in the league, and there were oh, no. certainly more talented teams that <clears throat> slotted behind them in, in the playoff race. But if he gets his guys in his system and gets them playing the way that he wants them to, they'll be successful. Well, Springer is only 18 years old. so A lot of room to grow. Yeah, like an extreme amount of room. It's just like... I don't want him. I don't. It's not about you. I just wonder, like, <laughs> I, don't. 
I, I wonder what the Knicks timeline is going to be now because yeah. you hear them in conversations with Dame, and I, I hope that they don't. I understand you can't get a guy like Damian, Damian Lillard every day, but I hope that they don't jump the ship and, and you know get too far ahead of themselves, making a trade for a superstar and get rid of everything they've built. They're thinking about Keon Johnson too. I don't think he'll be there, but that would be really good. Uh, he could. He could. He could. I'm, that's what I said. If we I trade don't. up, if, if we trade up, we could get him. Now. That's why I this said draft I don't. Crazy. I yeah. don't think I this mean, draft this, is great. I think last year's draft was kind of predictable, at least through well, at like least the, the top first, ten. No, no, no. Four was not predictable. Four was horrible. At, at, in hindsight, it looks great, but four was probably wait. The, Edwards, Lamelo, Wiseman, Patrick Williams, Patrick Williams. Oh well, he's the one that messed it up. Yeah. But the top three, yeah. was the, rest, yeah, the top three. Was I mean, I think yeah. the rest of the top ten went pretty much as yeah. we thought it would. Four was just like except a, for Halle Burden this year. And Isaac Curl too. I had beyond yes. like I think Kate is a lock at one. Beyond yeah. that, I really have no idea where it's going to go. Two, three, four, five could be a mystery. I think yeah. one and two are locks, and and Kate and Green, Jalen Green, yeah. But I could easily see like Kaminga or, or Evan Mobley. Well, they had that. Houston three. isn't high on Mobley. Yeah, but they're very aggressive in trying to get Cade. So it's you know they stopped though. Well, I I don't think the Pistons are trading the pick because I, think I, I saw OKC supposedly offering Shea in the sixth pick. That is the dumbest thing. Ever. Troy Weaver came out today and said that it was a false rumor. I know that because I, I literally made a whole video about it. I posted it on YouTube, and then the comment section told me <laughs> this shit was false. I mean, you like it depends on who you trust there, but yeah. you're a GM and you have an offer denied. I mean, you know, SGA in the sixth pitch for Kate. I love Kate. Don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't do that. If they offer that and the Pistons didn't accept that, I don't think they're going to accept any offer because you're not going to get a better NBA player for that pick than Shay right now. Yeah, that's true. And I, I hope that Troy Weaver was lying about it because if you said no. it, it is a bad look because if you openly admit that you didn't accept a trade, now people are going to look at you bad if K doesn't yep, pan out. Exactly. So it could go either way. Hopefully it was true so my video doesn't age poorly because I literally made an entire video talking about that trade. <laughs> but we talked about hidden gems. Now let's talk about prospects we're not so high on. And Riv, <laughs> I, I want to hear yours first because... Well, one, this is how the circle kind of goes anyway, but... But you'd just be so excited to hear me speak. No, I want to hear yours because some sometimes what you say is crazy. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be honest, I think you are the draft expert guru. You watch a lot of college basketball. Jack watches a lot of college basketball, too. You you both watch more college basketball than me. <laughs> this month, I've just been yeah, scouting. You've been, you've, been, you've been on your... Yeah, I've just been scouting this entire month, but I know that you watch a lot of college basketball, so I want to... Who are you not high on? And high on in terms of what, though? Like, I don't think they're going to be a star. We're not, they're not worth the hype or players... Yeah, like players that are getting hyped up that you're not all the way sold on, maybe mid-first-round picks that could be lower. You know, you just don't think are worth the hype. Oh, it's, and it's it's funny. This is going to sound like... This is going to sound crazy, but I think the two overseas guys... Are the two guys that come to mind? I think Singoon and Josh Giddy. I am not too high on, and it's it's with Josh Giddy. It's really more of his his body. You know, six eight, small four, but he's very small, very lengthy. He's very skinny. He his offensive game is very. It's not where it needs to be coming into the NBA. His playmaking, I think, is phenomenal. But I think in a league right now, I don't. I think we're all expecting guys because we've seen Luca come into the league and just put the league on storm. 
We've seen Dirk. You know, we've seen overseas guys come on. We're just expecting every overseas guy to come in and just produce. But I think, like, with Giddy, it's going to be really tough with his body and his size to really produce. And Sengun, it's just like, like, I watched him play. I just, I don't see it, bro. I'm not too high. Like, I've seen him play, and I get the cancer comparisons. I get, I get. Hold on, hold up. I don't think he's canner. You said, you, you told me cancer. No, I said at worst, he'll be canner in terms of production. Well, like I said, I watched a couple games. But I don't see the hype. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not all the way in love with the hype, honestly. I, those two guys are really a wait-and-see thing for me, to be honest. It's really just the overseas guys. But other than that, I'm pretty much high on Cade. I'm not as high on Jalen Green as everybody else. You know, I don't think – people think Jalen Green is a superstar – or again, like a franchise change of player. I really don't see that because I, I really see a lot of Bradley Bill in his game. And I see a lot of Brad, like Bradley, Zach, Devin Book. And I don't think those guys are like franchise changing players. And I don't think Jalen Green is going to be a franchise change player. Just I think he's too one dimensional. I think that's just going to be his game moving forward. But those are the three guys for me. I have two guys. And one, it hurts me to say because I really loved watching him play in college and high school. But the first guy I'm going with is Sharif Cooper. I just yeah, you're like done. his his profile of the NBA <sighs> concerns me. He was great at Auburn, and I think he's a great college basketball player. But his skill set, as of right now, doesn't transfer over. He's a smaller guard. He doesn't shoot the ball great. He only shot twenty percent, twenty two percent from three, twenty three percent from three. <laughs> Turn the ball over a bunch. He he isn't going to be able to defend a lot of guys because he's short, and his effort was questioned a lot at Auburn and. His offensive stats, you could say, were inflated because he controlled so much of that offense. So as much as I loved him at Auburn, I just don't know how he translates to the league because, one, he's not going to be getting that same usage rate any team he goes to realistically. And, two, size-wise and shooting-wise, I don't know where he fits in the NBA blueprint right now. Teams like guys who can guard a bunch of different positions, shoot the basketball well, and I don't know how well he does either of those things. He can improve on the shooting, and if he improves and gets himself to be a, a good to great three-point shooter, I think he could be successful in a bench scoring role. But as of right now, I don't think he pans out, at least to be what people think he's going to be. And the other that I have is Jalen Johnson, who was at Duke. He just, for a lot of the reasons that Ben Simmons coming out of LSU concerned me, his work ethic, his effort level. He was at three different high schools, went to IMG Academy, never played a game there. Went to Duke when things started going bad. He left there. So, you know, is he going to go to the NBA? He'll probably be a a fairly high draft pick. He's going to go to a not great situation. The first thing, the first time things go wrong, is he going to want to bail on his team? Like that's a concern for me. His work ethic and even his tools. Like I think offensively, he's limited. He's not a great shooter of the basketball. He turns the ball over a bunch. So, I think there's a lot of red flags on him for me. It's funny with Jalen Johnson that you said that his tools, he really reminds me of DeMar DeRozan coming out of college. This raw, physical, yep. just, just he's really the same type, athletic freak, physical guy. You didn't see much of him in college. You just see a guy who on a fast break is dangerous, but in a half court isn't really that good, kind of doesn't know where his footing is. And with DeMar DeRozan, his work ethic showed that he, he became who he is. And I think, you bringing that up is very interesting because with Jalen Johnson, the question really is how much work is he going to put in to be that type of guy? Because he really is coming out of college, kind of the same type of raw talent DeMar DeRozan was. Yeah, if he was a dog, it wouldn't scare me as much. But 
you're being put after his high school changes. He went to Duke and he was the guy at Duke. And the fact that he ran from that with one of the best coaches in the country in he that does. program, like you can't get in a much better situation. And the fact that he ran from that really turned me off. And Duke is a wing school too. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Johnson was a great pick because I think athletically he's very gifted, 100%. but he's doesn't have any offensive game outside of a fast break. He not Demar Derozan. He reminds me more of Alfaro Camino coming out of college. He can definitely make it with like his his athleticism and everything like that. But somebody has got to get in his ear early in the NBA process and get his his mindset turned around. Like almost like Deshaun, like Dwayne Haskins is looking for in the mm-hmm. NFL right now. Before it gets to that level, somebody's got to get to him and, and change his thinking. If Jalen Johnson goes to Sacramento, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Nah, I'm just being honest. Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley's already done. Darren Fox wasn't done though. It's, nah, but it's Darren a Fox is done though. Okay, that's fair. I mean, Jalen Johnson, I think he goes to Sacramento, he's done. But damn. It's over. I do think so. He's it's done. It's a bad situation. It's okay, not going to be fair. a good team. I mean, I don't want to just say he's completely done, but, you know, it's a big chance he'll probably be done. Though. He needs to end up in, like, a... Where, though? Like Other than maybe, Golden State. Maybe if he goes to, like, the Spurs. Like, just a program that's going but to in terms of mold like him. Their team, though, would that even fit their profile? Probably not. It wouldn't. I'm just considering for him, like, a, a, somewhere where he could go... Like he needs to end up somewhere. Even with even with San Antonio, though, a lot of those guys grow. They work in themselves. Yeah, Their true. work ethic is more true. in themselves. Because Pop doesn't really even bond with rookies that much. You know, Golden State would be cool. They 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 do a good job bringing in guys. Yeah, that, It'd be pretty good. Uh, Remember Kenny Atkinson is. Yeah, you know this segment is funny because it's gonna give us a lot of room to be wrong when the if these players pan out. <laughs> Uh, but I'll say this. I think Sharif Cooper, you're spot on. I'm not oh high gosh. on Sharif at all. I saw somebody on Twitter. They made a big board, and they had Sharif as the seventh best prospect in this draft. And I think that's fucking crazy. I've never said I that. I do think. I think it's crazy as hell to think Sharif is that high. <laughs> I saw Sharif as high as 11 on this other on this other big board. That's crazy to me. Sharif Cooper, he's a Trey Young light. in Because I think Sharif has elite passing ability yes like no doubt about it. he's had he's an elite passer but trey young was that and a great shooter and great at a flow at floaters and great at dropping to the basket that's not sharif i watched sharif versus kentucky i there wasn't a possession that went by that his pass didn't get deflected or he didn't get blocked at the rim by isaiah jackson that game was very dreadful like, that game showed me sharif cooper has a lot to work on and you hit it right on the nail like Sharif's usage at Auburn was extremely high, which is why he averaged 20 and 8. In the NBA, his usage won't be that high, and he got a lot of free throws. And in college, I think they officiate the game even worse than in the NBA in terms of these ticky-tack fouls. Sharif will not get that respect on fouls in the NBA Can I say something? as a rookie. He won't get that. It, you know, you guys, like with the Sharif Cooper thing, I push back on it a little bit because you guys are saying he had a high usage rate, and I get that part, but you got to... Put you understand it from this point. Sharif missed half of the season. Okay. He, he missed half of the season. He didn't get to play because obviously allegations, blah, blah, blah. He had to walk into an already bad situation. People left. People decommitted from the program because of the situation. He walks into the situation. He was given the tool. He's, he was told, you have to get us to the tournament or at least try to get us to the tournament. And we don't have a good team. So you... The shoulder, it's kind of placed on your shoulder. So being that he was given, he didn't expect that usage rate coming in. He was expected to have a good, solid team. And being that 
he did have to do that, and he had to kind of put the team on his shoulders. I think talking about his efficiency and talking about how— That's fine. Yeah, That's like fine. Hey, you got to put that look, into consideration. He didn't play half the season. I do a little bit, but I'm a firm believer in you can control what you can control. And you only watched his bad games. You never talk about his good games. I watched him versus Ole Miss. That was a good game. I watched him against Tennessee. Thank you. I watched him against good against good teams. I'm not. I I watched a lot of games. You only talk I watched him against ones. Baylor because he has a lot of bad ones. Yeah, most of his games are inefficient. I hope I'm wrong. I like him a lot, and I I do hope he succeeds. I just I hope don't you're wrong see too, him. Honestly, I don't see him succeeding at least to the level that people talk like he will. I don't think he'll ever be a star point guard. I don't even know if he'll be a. a he might be a starting point guard. Like that's his ceiling to me. Can he be better than Jeff Teague? All star Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague in general. A better career, maybe. This is what I'll say, though, because I didn't finish my point. It's a, that's a fair comparison. I didn't finish my point right here. Go ahead, bro. You can control what you can control. You can control how well you shoot the three-point ball. I mean, if you can't shoot, you can't shoot. And Sharif couldn't shoot <laughs> yeah, last right. year or so. And that's for a six-one guard who that's generous. He's more like 5'11". It's going to be difficult if you can't shoot. Defenses right. are going to go under screens on you if you can't shoot. He took that lean back out of his shot. You know, I commend him for that. It was pretty good. But... I'm just not high on Sharif Cooper because of his size, because of his short arms, because I don't know how good he'll be on defense, and he won't get that same usage. Right. To me, he's a Trey Young light. I can see him being a backup in Atlanta and them having a lot of success because the offense won't be different from when Trey Young and Sharif Cooper are on the court. I also see him having a similar trajectory to Brevin Knight or DJ Augustine, a guy who floats around and, you know, he's he's okay, but he's not an all-star point guard. I'll say this, though, and we talked about it in our scouting report, is that if Sharif Cooper develops a jump shot 35% from three and up, I do think he has all-star potential. Yeah. But right now, he doesn't have it, and that's why he's a guy I'm not so high on. Other two I'm not high on, I'm not high on Usman Garuba. I think Usman Garuba out of Spain, out of Real Madrid, he's an elite defender and a, a great rim runner. But the way he plays the game just screams role player. And that's not a bad thing. He can be a very great role player. But I think with him, I see very little star potential. I see a guy that, okay, he's going to be a great role player. We're going to draft him because we need a guy who can fulfill the role, and he fits that. But in terms of like a star, I don't see Usman Garuba being a star because his skill set and what he does now just doesn't scream star. I see it with Shingun and, and Giddy because Giddy averaged 11, 7, and 7 in the NBL against professionals, was a great playmaker, and had the ability to score. His shooting wasn't that great. I'll give you that. And Shingun won Turkish League MVP in the second toughest league outside of the NBA in the Euro League overseas, so the third toughest league. Uh, so he won Turkish League MVP. When you look at Shingun play, He's a polished player. He has an insanely great motor. He's very athletic. I think, at worst, his production is Ennis Cantor in the NBA. I do, which is like 14-8 and eight type of guy. So then you say, you said... And the other one is Scotty Barnes. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. And also, I'm not high on the two Auburn guys, Sharif and JT Thor. I'm not high on them. Um, You said the Turkey City was, what, the third? Toughest yeah. league. So NBA, NBA, NBL, Euro League, NBA, Euro League, Euro League, and then Turkish League. Where's NBL? That's in the Euro League, too. Nah, NBL, Euro League is like Barcelona, Real okay. Madrid. So, what's the drop off from the NBA to the Turkish League? Like, how much of a drop off is it in terms of competition? Uh, 
I it's think, a big drop off. I'm not gonna say it's not, but I also say this. No, because you know, wait, wait, because you keep telling me that he win, he won MVP in the third toughest league. Yeah, but what's yeah, the he's drop 19, off? He's 19 though. That is Can, fair. Consider this too. A lot of people laughed at Luka Doncic when he said it was easier to score in the NBA than it was to score overseas. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing in the Olympics this year and in Team USA's exhibitions that that wasn't as outlandish as it seemed at the time because those <clears throat> leagues overseas play a much different brand because of, of basketball. The, Rules, yes. not because of the players. Yeah. Because yeah. of the... Okay, that's fair to say. That's, that's fair. But also, you talk about the drop-off from the NBA to the NBL or Turkish well, League or Euro League. No, I was just asking. I get it. Because you talk about efficiency. But that's a major... up. Those leagues are major upgrades over college. You know, it's hard to say that. I don't think it is. I'm going to tell you why. You want to know why? I'll tell you why it's not. The reason why it's not is because all the players that were great college stars mm-hmm. that didn't pan out in the NBA go to those leagues. And become stars. Not all of them. But some of them do. Some. Russ Smith is a bona fide demon over there and overseas. And well, he, Russ Smith was a great scorer. He was a great That's star in college. Yeah, That's what great. I'm saying. That's why you can't... College versus... Obviously, college versus NBA. The difference is that in, in those leagues, though, everybody on that roster mm. is... College star, basically, pro. Where in college, you're facing one of those on each team, maybe two, and That's, the other guys are just role players. That depends on conference. Fair, but I'll say this: Would you rather a guy just two of the exact same stat lines, say eighteen five and five mm-hmm. on like forty percent from the field, thirty percent from three? Would you right. rather take a guy doing that overseas in the Turkish league or a guy doing that in college? That's an easy answer. <sighs> Probably the Turkish. I just think playing against professionals does That's a lot a to point. you. That's and especially, like, I think for guys like LaMelo and RJ Hampton, it's even more enhanced because you're going overseas to a completely different mm-hmm. situation <clears throat> and you're changing your entire li- entire lifestyle, which is a huge part of playing in the NBA, changing where you live, changing your entire routine to fit where you're at. But I think for those guys, it benefited differently because they've seen both lights. True. So they they had the the adaption was completely different as where Sengun and Giddy kind of grew up in that whole True, but Sengun... Yeah, Sengun averaged 19 and 11. Oh, no, I was just speaking on... Yeah. It, no, I get it, yeah. but he averaged 19 and 11. If you watch how he rim runs in his hustle. Oh, yeah, no, but you, it's next you, level. you in this giddy thing, it's it's I think Josh killing me is because, really good. Because you're 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 with Sharif, you're so knocked on his inefficiency. Well why? And how, well, wait, wait, why? Can, can I finish? Can I finish what I'm saying? I just want to ask you why. Wait, wait, let me finish first and then you gotta ask me why. You're so knocked on Sharif's inefficiency, the fact that he didn't shoot well, he got blocked a lot, this, that and the third. He shot well from the free throw line, but he wasn't a good three point shooter. Okay. But with Josh Giddy, he averaged 11 points. He wasn't good from the field. He wasn't good from the three-point line. And also, he wasn't good from the free throw line. So, in reality, his offense, where was it? In the fourth, what? NBL is the fourth toughest league, I'm assuming? I would say. Fourth? Yeah. And he averaged 11 points, 10 points. He struggled? He didn't struggle. He was the best player on this team. Well, if I'm no, I'm talking just offensively. He didn't struggle offensively. For one, I had to fact check you. He shot 40, 43% from the field. Yeah. That's not, not good, that's, that's not bad. That's not good. That's we, not bad. We bash Westbrook for shooting that. Chill, Don't stop. Chill. Stop. Two, two, he shot 29% from three, which is <laughs> 7% better than Sharif. It's still not good. And he took three and a half threes per game. It's still not Sharif good. Sharif took eight 
threes and was bad at shooting. Still not good though. Let me let me just add this into the conversation. Just as food for thought, Lamelo in the NBL put up seventeen seven and six, but he also only shot thirty seven percent from the field, twenty five percent from three. It's just worse than getting. So he didn't put up great numbers over there either, and now he's a superstar, a budding superstar. So we're telling. So you. So but did you hold on? So then let me ask you, Jack, since you brought that up, do you see the same? Have you watched Josh Giddy before? I, uh, I yes. Okay. Do you see the same pop with Giddy? Just you. I'm just no, asking you personally. No. With Giddy, not, not the same from as Melo, but I would say, I think if you're having a conversation, Sharif Cooper versus Giddy, at least Giddy has the NBA profile. He has the size that you could come. I, th- in I think and he only has the height. You are. So, you, yeah, and that's huge. You're, you're missing the fact that he's I'm a not, six eight point he's, guard. No, but he's no. He's a six because you classify him as a wing. So stop it. He's a point forward. That's okay, basically a point the, guard. Walking into the NBA, he's going to probably have to guard wings with his size. And at this point, right now, he's probably not going to get maybe a little bit bigger than what he is. Right at his size, do you trust him to guard wings? Right now, with the type of foot speed he has, which isn't that fast, well, you, so, with the teams, type of strength he has. Some teams draft on projection. And with Josh Giddy, it's all about projection. One thing's for certain. Coming into the NBA right now, I can trust Josh Giddy to give me 17 minutes off the bench and average about 7 points and 3 assists. A given. I can, I can count on that in 17 minutes per game. I can count on that. If his shooting, mm-hmm. if his shooting <laughs> gets better, right. that goes up. But Giddy is a six eight point guard. I call point forward point guard is the same definition to be. He's a primary ball hitter. He can do that for a team. I think his ceiling is a lot higher. Yeah, and Sharif. I have actually heard you. Guys I'm talk down. About I'm down on Sharif because for one, his size. He's five eleven at best. Like I've said, his shooting. He's not a good shooter. He has short arms. Not only that, but the high usage rate and. Most of the foul calls are ticky-tack fouls. Overseas, they officiate the game more physically. They let you get away with stuff. Josh Giddy in an open floor is going to be better. And I trust Josh Giddy to be better than Sharif Cooper. And I think his projection is way higher. You're right. He probably, day one, he can't guard wings and stronger players or even faster guards. But he's only 19 years old. I expect him to gain strength by 22. And I expect him to be a strong player and be able to handle that type of physicality. To, to be fair, my argument is not Sharif Cooper versus Josh. Oh, we're t- I'm, I know, oh. but we're just talking about Josh Giddy. I just mentioned you. I just mentioned to you why. Okay, I no. trust Josh Giddy to to be better. No, I just wanted to let the audience know my argument is not Sharif Cooper versus. But Josh I'm just Giddy. saying, Josh Giddy. Yeah, 19 years old. He's not that strong. He he kind of reminds me of Poku, and like what the Thunder want Poku to be. Like. He he reminds me of. Joe Ingles. Yeah, what is Joe Ingles? Well, Joe Ingles is a role player. You're Service, right. Serviceable role player. You're right. But I think Josh Giddy has a higher ceiling than Joe Ingles. He reminds me of Joe Ingles in terms of play style, in terms of a guy who can handle the ball. If he shoots the ball well, now we're talking about yeah, a think, real legit guy. I think that's similar between him and Sharif. They both have to work on that shooting, and if they do, it totally changes their profile. And that was LaMelo, too, pre-draft, that we yep. talked about if LaMelo can be a better shooter, he's going to be special. You know, that Giddy, I mean, 6'8 point guard, you can't teach that size. You can't teach that size, and he was productive overseas, not only in assists, but in rebounding, and he averaged 11 points per game. Overseas, 11 points per game is like 18 in the NBA. Really? I think it is. And, and that what a lot of Because teams, of how slow the pace is yeah, over there. 
what a lot of teams are going to bet on is the size and the stuff that you can't teach. You know, he, he is a 6'7", six, It is going to be interesting because with all the 6'8", guards that we know, yeah. something pops. With Ben Simmons, it was his defense. With LaMelo, it was his finesse. With Cade, it's his combination of honestly everything. He's just a different beast. So with Giddy, it's, you know, it's going to be... I mean, okay, you, you, gotta, you can say that all you want. No, no I'm just saying. I'm not... Like, like no, I said, no, no, no. I, I, that's fine. It's a fact. Can I also raise a question? Are you guys as high on Cade as everybody else is? Say, I dare you to say something. No, I no, am. I'm I am high on Cade. Yeah. I think he can be an MVP. You stole my line. No, you. I said that. All, I, said, I said that all the time. I said that the first week he played college. Like, I say, I, I, I think Cade. He's worth the hype. I'm definitely. But to end off this segment, I, I'm really curious to know what you thought of Luca pre-draft. You're probably going to lie on the show right now, even if you think he was no, bad. I actually have no answer for that because I don't okay. remember. Okay, you don't remember. Pre-draft, I thought Luka was going to be great. I didn't think, no, what I would say, though, is I didn't think he should have been the number one pick, though. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I'll say this, though. You probably also thought Luka didn't pop. A lot of people thought, looking at his game, he didn't pop. I thought he was good, though. I didn't think he didn't pop, though. You're right. He, ne- he never looked, because his play style, even still in the NBA, he doesn't really pop. Yeah, it's unless like he gets really slow high. slow and... That Very, one foot legged three pointer pops though. No, that yeah. no doubt, no <laughs> that, doubt. That pops. But I'm just saying, pre draft, I remember working at UPS, mm-hmm. loading up boxes in a truck <laughs> with my manager talking basketball, mm-hmm. and I told him, "Look, Luca is a combination of Larry Bird and I forgot who else." I, and I said, <laughs> "I said Manu Ginobili," and my my boss, my manager was like, "You're out of your goddamn mind." And he told me, I can't talk ball with you, bro. Luca's gonna be a bust, all this. And then I I'd still laugh about him with it today. Laugh about I laugh laugh with him about it today. That he thought Luca so wasn't gonna be. You good. bringing up Luca means you must think Giddy's gonna be this guy. No, no, no. Giddy is not the prospect oh, Luca okay. is. Oh no, I'm just you but keep I, bringing but up I'm these saying, guys. But I'm saying you are so insanely low on Giddy, and it makes me question why. Because he did this overseas. He played well overseas. And I think that means a lot. I really do. When you play well, especially at a young age, when you play well overseas, like it's different with a Fancundo Campazzo or a Bijalitza, who they win MVPs like at twenty-seven overseas. We're talking about nineteen-year-olds who are the best players on their team overseas, and I think that that weighs a lot for me in terms of draft position. That's why I was high on Roku Prakasin. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can see it, but I think with these new young guys coming in, like it's. And you you saying he's a point forward. That point guard position is loaded. Like, there's guys coming in every year. So you, you mean to tell me he's just going to come in and have – Luca? let's be realistic. Luca was just – that was Josh insane. Josh won't have that impact. Impact. He won't so have it. what do you it. think – what's the ceiling for you? I think it's hard to determine. Oh my I, I think a high-level starter probably. High level star- that's what I think. You never said that. You sound like you don't think he's – not going to no, be I that. think he can be a starter in the league. But I, I, I can't rule out All-Star either. I, I'm, I'm just going to say that, you know, you're, Josh But you're Giddy, extremely high on it. No, I'm high on Giddy because I think he's going to be an impactful NBA player. Not every player I'm high on I think is going to be some superstar but All-Star. what's an impactful – P.J. Tucker's an impactful NBA player. What's an impactful – like, what do you mean by that? Well, a guy <laughs> who is going to be in a rotation and can be a starter for years to come. And when we he's one of those guys that we talk about, <laughs> oh, he's a very underrated player. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so think Josh so Giddy so can Drew be Drew Holiday's ceiling is what you're telling me. I mean, I'm not trying to give him a ceiling, man. I'm just saying he's going to be a good NBA player. No, okay. I get you, that. You're making it sound like he's not going to be. No, I think he's going to be all right. Man. I just don't think. What do you, okay, let me base it off this. 
in terms of just this draft alone, what's his ceiling? Where does his ceiling rank? Top five, top ten? If we put everybody yeah. in this draft and mm-hmm. we rank them off potential? Yes. If we just put everybody in the same situation, they they all had the same situation, where would he be? Well, that's a little bit of a weird question. I'm just going to rank them off of potential. Go ahead. I think if we're talking about potential. Just potential. Number one is probably still Cade, honestly. No, yeah. But number um, two is probably, I think we all can two is, Kuminga. Two is probably, I'd actually go Barnes. Oh. Because of his physical tools. Oh, my. Over yeah. Kuminga. Okay, fine. This is yeah. your list. I'm you surprised know? either you said Jalen Green. Oh, I don't. I think Kuminga's size. Like he, Fair. If you're talking so, potential. Okay. So, I think, I'll say this. Josh Giddy's top five. Oh, he wow. Is. <laughs> If we're talking Who's about potential, purely. in your top five? Cade, Barnes, Barnes Kaminga, Giddy. What? Um, <laughs> I need some help with some other players. Mobley. Oh, wait. Buck hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mobley is two. I apologize. Okay. He's still... Those are still one and two. Barnes, three. I'd actually put Giddy over Kaminga. And I'd have Kaminga You're extremely five. high. So then you think he's a star. Whoa. I think he has that type of ceiling. I All do. Right, okay. I, I weigh crazy. that a lot. I can't know? wait. Oh, All right, we'll see. We'll see how he does. I think he's gonna be. He's gonna be awesome. I can't wait. He's I hope he goes awesome. to a good situation too. I don't want to see him in a bad. He's situation. gonna go to Memphis. Trust me. He's if gonna Buck go to Knight Memphis. Doesn't fall. Yeah, he is not gonna fall. And transitioning to Memphis, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies made a trade uh, yesterday. The Pelicans received Jonas Valanciunas, the 17th pick and the 51st pick. The Grizzlies received Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, who is not staying in Memphis. They already announced it the 10th pick, and the 40th pick, and a 2022 first rounder via the Lakers, which is top 10 protected. I love this trade. I love it for the Pelicans. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is a major upgrade over Steven Adams offensively. He's a better floor spacer. He can hit a mid-range jump shot. Even though he can't hit threes consistently, he only took one a game and shot 37% from the three, which is still good, but it's not enough of a volume to really say he's a good three-point shooter. I think from the mid-range is where he'll give Zion more space to operate. And the Pelicans were leaving that cap space, leaving those contracts of Adams and Eric Bledsoe, I think, are freaking huge. And you can make an argument that last year, the reason why the Pelicans were so bad is because Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe just didn't fit with that team. So now you get those guys out, you bring Jonas who fits, who was arguably Memphis's second best player all year last year. I think that's a major upgrade. And at pick 17, the Pelicans right now are in the business of getting a player who can impact winning right now. They don't want to bank on potential. They already got that with their players. They want a Corey Kispert. They want a Trey Murphy. They want a Chris Duarte. They want those NBA-ready guys. And I think at 17, Either Murphy, Duarte, or Kispert will be there at 17, and they can draft one of them. So I think this was a great move for them. And at pick 51, maybe <laughs> Jeremiah Robinson Earl is there. They have already they have already worked them out, and they're high on him. He can be there. He's NBA ready as well. Villanova guys succeed in the league a lot. Yeah, I like his game. And the Grizzlies, this is about the 10th overall pick. I think Steven Adams is, he's not an upgrade defensively slightly. Eric Bledsoe is not going to play. They have uh, Tyus Jones and DeAnthony Melton, so he won't play. The 10th overall pick is between five players to me. Davion Mitchell, James Bucknight, Keon Johnson, Moses Moody, and Josh Giddy. I think Bucknight gets taken eight to Orlando or earlier. I think Keon Johnson will be there. I think Moody will be there. 
I think Mitchell, depending if he goes seven, we're not sure. He might not be there. He might be there. And I think Giddy will be there as well. If I were picking, if it's not Buck Knight at 10, I'm picking Josh Giddy, and I'm not looking back. My second option would be Moses Moody, though. You know, this this trade kind of was like, I was in the gym when this uh, trade happened. I was just kind of like, oh. But then, like, later in the day, I really looked at this trade. Valanchunas is a good player. You know, he's he's a guy who can, like you said, he can hit the mid-range, but he's still more of a post-up player, a guy who likes to dig in in the paint and do a lot of his dirty work. I, w- I would say this is an upgrade from Steven Adams, but this still, I feel like this still doesn't solve their ultimate problem, which is spacing for Zion. I think it puts it's more of a band-aid, but I don't think this really solves the problem that they need more spacing for Zion and Brandon Ingram. But they did unload on Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams' contracts, which was huge, especially for Eric Bledsoe because he's horrible. They did give up the 10th pick, but they got picks back so they can still get a quality NBA player at this level. And they filled up some cap space, and I think that's good for them too. So now they can maybe go out and get another player in free agency, a quality guy. And for Memphis, you know, getting the 10th pick, which I didn't even know they wanted, you know, getting the 10th pick where they can pick another guy because they know they're not a destination for free agents. They know that. So I think with the 10th pick, you can still get a possible all-star potentially in this draft, or you can still get a quality starter for years to come in this draft. It's huge for them. They still keep their main core of John Morant, Jaron Jackson, Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks. So, you know, they still get their main core. And Steven Adams, he isn't a bum. You know, he can guard bigs. He rebounds. He's a great screener. He's a great outlet passer. So, with somebody you can keep around, like you said, Bledsoe isn't going to stay. But if I had the 10th pick, obviously I would go Buck Knight if Buck Knight wasn't there. But if Buck Knight goes there. Sorry. Obviously, I would take Buck Knight if he is there. But if Buck Knight is not there, I would go Moses Moody. I think it fills their need of shooting and it keeps their identity of defense. And I wouldn't look back with that pick. I, I, I like mean, Moses Moody. You kind of said a lot of what I was thinking on this trade. I love it for the Pelicans. I think they get at least one horrible contract off in Bledsoe and one also fairly bad one in Steven Adams for a guy in Valanchunas who I think fills the role better than Steven Adams did for less money. I think he, although he doesn't fully solve the problem of the spacing, he makes it much better. Especially, It never worked with Adams down there. Jackson Hayes is his backup and Zion at the four. Like that was a recipe for disaster. So now bringing in Valanciunas at least, like you said, adds some shooting to the five position. There's still some work to be done there, but I think it will make them a better team. I think last year they got a little trigger happy because they wanted to try and please Zion and Brandon Ingram. And they made some moves that in hindsight made no sense. And then the other thing that this trade does for them is if they want to match Alonzo Ball offer sheet, they can do so. They have the salary cap to do that now. So something to consider for them. I don't know if they're going to want to go out and give him a max contract if that's what he gets somewhere. But it's something that they can consider now, which wasn't a luxury in the past. For the Grizzlies, I don't love it as much, but I see what they're trying to do. Like you said, the jump from 17 up to 10 puts them in a whole different echelon of players that they can look at with that pick. And they're not as much as they succeeded this past year, more than I thought they might. They're not in a win now spot. They have a lot of young guys that are still developing. They can afford to take on these two bad contracts while taking that higher pick and get another young player that can develop. They're in that rebuilding mode. Did they say what they're going to do with Bledsoe? 
they're probably going to trade him or cut him. One of those. So I wonder what they'll do with. <laughs> yeah, because they already said he's not like he's not going to be a part of their plans. Boy, and then hypothetically, like it might be a long shot, but you look at Steven Adams and maybe they do something like what the Thunder did. They just feed him some touches, get his numbers up and trade him off the deadline to somebody who wants a big man and get more assets. The, the Sam Presti trade machine, like what they've been doing the past couple of years. It's something to consider. So I like this move for both sides more so for the Pelicans, but I think it works for both. Teams. I think with the beauty of Memphis is they're, they're at a good pace with their, you know, the progression. Exactly. I think, exactly. you know, the grit and grind there with Mike Conley, that's over with Marcus. So I think, but right now with John Moran and Jaron Jackson, they're slowly progressing back to a consistent playoff team. I mean, we seen last year, John Moran in the playoffs, he did what a lot of second year players couldn't do. Yep. Not gonna say any names, but you know he he balled out against Utah. Talking about R.J. Barrett, yeah, he balled cool. he balled out against Utah. And I think the team did a lot of growing last year. Dylan Brooks coming to his own as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. So I think now with this pick, they get to just continue on with their pace because they're not going to be a high level exactly. marquee in free agency. So Moses Moody is a really good player. I wouldn't be upset if they drafted him with that tenth pick because I think he fits the profile of a three and D shooting guard he does have some potential to be a very good shot creator and yeah I, I really like his game I do I, my pro comparison for Moses Moody is Gary Harris I, I've said it before he has very little bust potential it's just about how good can he be I'm not sure about how good he can be when you look at Memphis right now they're young players they have John Moran Dylan Brooks Jaron Jackson Jr. Desmond Bain Brandon Clark Xavier Tillman what stands out to me is that those are a lot of guys that can space the floor. They play tough, really good defense. What doesn't stand out to me is that they don't have a guy who can play make at all outside of John Morant. It's just John Morant and everybody else is just there watching. Why do you believe that? Because I do. Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson can do Oh, that. that's their young core. Come on. I'm talking about their young core. I'm talking uh, about their young core. Guys okay. who are, are going to okay. be part of their plan. I'm talking cool. about their young core. All right. That's why, to me, the two guys that stick out are Davion Mitchell and Josh Giddy. Davion Mitchell is 23 years old. Are you really going to have a backcourt of Ja and Davion Mitchell? That's the smallest backcourt in the league, probably as small as Cleveland's right now. Are you really going to draft Davion at 10 if you don't plan on starting him and, play, and plan on having him come off the bench? I don't think that's their plan. That's why, to me, Josh Giddy makes sense to have another player to relieve pressure off of Ja Morant, and that can also score and get his own bucket and facilitate the offense. I think that is a great fit. Memphis has shooters, man. They have shooters. They, I know they were bad at three-point shooting last year, but if you have John Moran, Josh Giddy, and then, wait up, <laughs> if Kyle Anderson, uh-huh. let's just say Desmond Bain develops into a point where he is that starting small forward. No, I'm forgetting about Dylan Brooks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dylan Brooks who can shoot. Jaron Jackson Jr. They can go small and go Josh Giddy. Brooks, Jackson, and Anderson. Anderson. They can go small and go like that. I think that's a good type of spaced out lineup. And I think too much times we pay attention to three-point percentage a little bit too much. For example, Alonzo Ball. He was really good from the three this past season. But teams are still playing off of him a bit because they don't respect his shot fully. I think it matters more that you're a lower three-point percentage shooter but teams respect you more than being a high percentage three-point shooter, but teams aren't respecting you as much because, you know, it doesn't suck in the defense as much. So because of that, I think 
that's not a bad lineup for Memphis. It's not. And I think Giddy solves that playmaking crisis for Memphis when they're not relying on Ja. Um, Even the Anthony Melton, like he's good, but he's not a playmaker. Um, you said a lot. <laughs> you said a lot. Tell, um, me, tell me where I was wrong. No, I, I, I want to go back to your point where you said you talked about Lonzo Ball. What was the point of you bringing that up? That he's not really respectable because people sag off John Morant like a lot. Like he's not a really a respectable guy in the league yet. I said I, I think point. it matters more that you get guys who have the reputation. For example. If Duncan Robinson shoots a lower percentage from three than Alonzo Ball, mm-hmm. I would still rather Duncan right. to be a floor spacer because he has that reputation that we can't leave this guy open. I'm not sure how it correlated to my Memphis yeah, point, I was like trying to but I just I just wanted to make that point out oh. there because I had it in my head. Sorry. Okay, that was my only... I was just trying well, to figure out how that correlated. Another part of this deal that kind of flew under the radar was that Lakers first round pick too. I think it's top 10 protected next yeah. year. Which is cool because Lakers won't be a top 10 team. Exactly. Or top 10 lottery team. And then you consider 2023, which I believe would be the year that they would get an, an unprotected pick. If the and Lakers, this is for Memphis. Yeah. So if they get that pick in 2023, who knows what happens to the Lakers by then. Anthony Davis, you know, he could be somewhere else. LeBron could be somewhere else. Nobody knows what's going to happen to that Lakers team. You know, if even if they don't add anything in these next two years... LeBron's going to be on the downtrend by then, you would imagine, but who yep. knows with him. And Anthony Davis with the injury issues, who knows where he goes from here. So that's also an interesting pick to think about as they move forward. A player that might get traded in these coming days is Bradley Beal. And the teams that he would welcome a trade to are Golden State, Philadelphia, Miami, and Boston. I think we all kind of are pretty on the same page in terms of where we think his best fit would be and who he would put over the top. I think it's Golden State. I'm not huh, sure about not you two. Who do you think it is? None of those. Teams. That would be insane if he went to Golden State. I don't. Wait, what was the teams you said? That would Philly, put- Miami, Boston, Golden State. And you said over the top. Yeah. The best. Like not 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 the best team in the NBA, but he'd make them legitimate contenders. I like, I like Philly. I like Philly, but I don't think the okay. Um, let me. Sorry. You think Dame fits better next to Steph than Beal? Can I can I go on my little monologue? Go. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um. Well, first, let me start by saying this would completely change the whole trajectory if Beal goes to Golden State, and then now the Wizards have yeah. seven and fourteen, and I believe fifteen. Fifteen. So this would completely just flip flop everything. That'd be crazy. Um, the reason why I don't I don't Beal. Beal is an interesting player because he he's like Dame is not a great defender. We know that Dame isn't really a good defender. And Steph and Dame is a small backcourt. We get that. But Dame's offensive game, especially when it comes to the clutch and when it comes to in the playoffs, kind of bumps up a bit. Whereas and him playing with Steph would just create so much spacing and would create so much domination on the offensive game. Whereas Bradley Beal, I feel like his... 30 points a game even are kind of in garbage time. I don't I don't think like those 30 points a game would be as threatening on a Golden State where I think he'll just be relative to a 22, 23 points a game. And as for a guy who, if Dame comes, we can put the ball in Dame's hand. He can make plays for other. I don't think we can, I'm saying we, I don't think the Warriors can do that for Bradley Bills. We put Bradley Bill in that position. 
you know, he's starting to make plays for I don't think he I think he'll just be the same guy. I don't think he puts them over the top. I think Bradley Beal being as horrible as he is as a defender and him not I don't think he'll he'll have that thirty points per game on goal to stay where I think Dane can still keep up his level of production with Steph Curry. I disagree. And because <clears throat> I remember in Washington when they made the playoffs and Bradley Beal was playing for a team that was winning, he was known as a good defender. He was he had that reputation as a guy who can do it on both ends. So I don't remember I, that. I think if he goes to Golden State, he's gonna be more of a defender. He's gonna play that role better. I think he can be he's a better defender than Dame. And I disagree. I think you give the ball and beat to Beal and, and give it to him, he's gonna make something out of that. He's gonna score. I don't think he's a top fifteen player, and I don't think he's top twenty. I think he's probably like twenty one, maybe nineteen. He's between there. And I know our first video that got viral on TikTok was that me saying he's not a top 15 player. Now it's like, yeah, obviously he's not. I don't think he's that good, but I think he does put Golden State over the top with Beal, Clay, Steph, Draymond. I think that that would be a, a, a great team. And I don't think he gets his points in garbage time. I didn't mean to say garbage time. I don't you know. said it, though. No, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to use that phrase garbage time. I, just, I don't think his 30 would translate. I think... I don't think either, but that's because of Steph. But I think Dame's 27, 28, eight assists will still translate. If Clay comes back, good. I, I think if yeah, I think Dame could still put up 27, 28 a game. KD uh, and Steph KD were putting up KD, 26 a game apiece. KD did 26. Okay. So, so you're saying Dame's doing 27? Okay, pardon me. Dame's going to put up 26. I think Dame puts up like 24. It's still good, but I think so, Beal can do the same. It's a lot of mouths to feed in that yeah. offense. And Jordan yeah. pulled off the bench, who's a scorer. Jordan Poole's the only guy off the bench that's a scorer. Mm. What do you mean? Mm? I mean, <laughs> I guess. Toscano? Like, I'll say out of the teams that we were just talking about, I think the Sixers and the Heat would be the best fit. I was skeptical about, I mean, you remember, I was skeptical about the Heat trading for James Harden. My mindset has since changed. They need a scorer. And yeah, I think Bradley Beal fits that mold. Um, I do, in hindsight, think they missed out on James Harden. I think that would have been a big move for them because – with the way their guys developed this year, I think their window is not as big as they thought it was. So I think Bradley Beal can come in and give you at least some of what you think Harden would have, at least in a scoring aspect. He he can fill it up. There's no question about it, even if it's not 30, because I don't think he's going to get 30 on a playoff team. I think he could get you a good 25, 26 a game, and that would be huge for them. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Philly. You know, If you're doing a move with Ben Simmons and you're getting him out of there, Bradley Beal can go and fill one of those guard spots. I don't know if that fit is as good because they do have some solid scoring guards there in Philadelphia with Seth Curry, with Maxi. So, you know, they have some guys there that can score the ball, but I think he would be a better fit at the two than Simmons is at the one right now. One team that I think should definitely stay away from him is the Celtics. I, I think that a trade him for Jalen Brown, which is what was on the topic, mm-hmm. I think that would be crazy for the Celtics to do. I don't necessarily love the fit of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because I think Jalen Brown could blossom somewhere else with more touches. It's even more of a problem if you bring in Bradley Beal because he's more of a scorer than Jalen Brown is. Like He's more of an isolation scorer that needs the ball than Jalen Brown is. On top of that, Jalen Brown career shoots better from the field, better from three. He's a better defender uh, on all levels. So I don't see any world in which that makes sense for the Celtics to do. That was on the topic list, and I did change the the, the phrase, the question in a little bit because I thought 
it made more sense to talk about it in the broad sense since yeah. Bradley Beal's name has been around everywhere. I put up a trade on Twitter that I think makes sense for both teams. I know you you uh you shaded my trade package a little bit. I'm not holding no grudges over that. But no, I saw it. Don't worry. I'm not holding no grudges over that. Uh, the trade was the Warriors get Bradley Beal and Daniel Gafford. And the Wizards get picks number seven, 14, James Wiseman, Wiggins, and a future first rounder. I think the Warriors could give up Wiseman because they're getting back Gafford, who showed defensive prowess and was good in his time in Washington and could fill in that center role. And the, the Wizards get Wiseman, they get Wiggins. Now you probably trade Westbrook as well. And now you got pick 7, 14, and 15. You can go get Buck Knight to fill in that Beal type role. At 14, you can get maybe a Trey Murphy or Corey Kispert or, nah, or an Isaiah Jackson. You need a young guy at that point. I mean, you can get somebody, maybe a Keon Johnson or Moses Moody yeah, is question. there. Who do you think says no to that? I think uh, I don't think uh, um, Washington says no. I think it's hard for the Wizards. I to think say that would no be the that. best trade they can get because they're in such rebuild mode, and that gives them so many. Not I mean, only does I give think that's James good for Warriors. Warriors. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question because you're you think Beal will put them over the top? Yes, I do. You do you think Beal will put them over the top? Golden State. What do you mean by over the top? Because let me because say the West are they the best team in the West if. If the Warriors get Beal, are they the best team in the Western Conference? I think a big question mark that needs to be answered is Clay coming back. What is he going to be when he comes I back? I think at most injury? he'll still be the third best shooter in the league. What about defensively? Is he still an elite defender? That's going to be trouble because he because, guards guards. Because and now of, he's going to have to guard wings. Yeah, one of my biggest concerns there would be we know Steph Curry isn't great defensively. Which, begs, which, which goes to my question, thank you, that you uh, kind of shot me in there. Is Bradley Beal good enough to where you, in the West, where guys are Paul George, Kawhi, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you know, wings that are dominating the West, and guards like Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic too, I don't even know how I didn't forget. Is Bradley Beal good enough to where you give up one of your defensive anchors in Andrew Wiggins who is going to be tasked with guarding your wings along with Clay? Well, you could put Draymond on those wings, but then you need Bradley Beal to be able to. And go you kind of want Draymond to like anchor the defense yeah. down low. He's better That's at kind of being that safety That's for tough. the defense. Is Bradley Beal good enough to where you make that adjustment, where you just kind of like say, "All right, we're gonna have to just go more offense defense," where the Golden State's identity has always been offense and defense. That's what it is. They'll have to. They'll have to be more offense, offensively oriented, which I think can work because I think even. If you have Draymond, you have a top ten defense in the NBA. I think, I yeah, do. but I in the, but but when playoff time crunches down and you need stops, you need because if you have Draymond, well, they don't have to worry about Kawhi. They don't, but they have to worry about LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, and Draymond can true. only guard one of them. He, here's what I'll say: I think Bradley Beal has the tools to be a good defender. He needs to, like, they would need to sit down with him and, and have him commit. Yeah. being a big piece defensively. And I think he wasn't that in Washington because they were so bad. And maybe they he just needs to get into a place that's going to compete and, and things will turn around for him. But he would need to be like not only an average defender, he would be good, the like thing, very yeah, good. Because the thing with Clay was, Clay was the guy who guarded guys Steph couldn't guard. Yeah. And now Beal coming in kind of has to play that role because you gave up Wiggins, who was your guy who guarded wings. And now Clay kind of has to go back to that role. And that's axing a lot from a guy coming off of two knee surgeries to guard wings. It wasn't Achilles. Pardon me. 
So not two knees. So Achilles and knee. So you're my boy. The I mean, point still stands. Yeah, the point still stands. I, look, I agree with you, but at the same time, I think Bradley Beal can lock in. But I want to ask you guys this. You already gave your answer to the question. Would you consider trading Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal for the Boston Celtics? And have a Beal-Tatum tandem? They have a great relationship off the court. Nah, I try to hear that garbage. And I think their game fits better next to one another than Jalen Brown and Tatum. I am a believer of having two two-way guys to lead the charge. And with that being said, I don't think – I think Brown is – I think they need to make Brown and Tatum work because you got two guys who can get you a stop and two guys who can go get you a bucket. So I don't think – I think they need a point guard more than anything, like a real point guard. So I don't think trading Beal for a guy who's younger and – probably is, is going to continue to get better. Three years younger. Yeah, he's going to continue to get better as we've just seen the jump he made. I think I would probably keep Jalen Brown. And he's cheaper at the moment. At the moment. I mean, that's great. You know, at first, I, I think this is a much closer question than people think and it is. And it's not to say Brown is better than Beal or anything like that. Because I believe that Jalen Brown is only three years younger. He's not <clears throat> insanely younger than Beal. Beal is a better score, even though the numbers may show that no, Brown Beal's is better, better efficient. Efficiency-wise, he's better, but Bradley Beal, I think, is a better scorer. Obviously, on defense, it's not close. But when I look at Boston, I don't know how they got to this point to where they have so many holes on this roster. They don't have a point guard. They don't have a shooting guard, small forward. I don't know. If you want to classify Brown as a shooting guard or forward, they're missing one of the those. Three. Right, because now the star, the star lineup, projected star lineup would be Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford, and who else? Neesmith? They don't have Fournier on the roster right Jeff now. Teague. Oh my God. And he's on Milwaukee. <laughs> and so, you know, freaking. Smart, Smart isn't a bad one, though. Uh, I don't think he's a true one. Yeah, That's well, not going to help their game. Two. Well, he can fill the role for a little bit until they figure it out. Though, I, I, think. I think Boston, their best lineup is having Tatum at the three. I think he's been playing out of position being a four. I want to see him back being a three, Brown at the two, and get a real four. Get a floor spacing, versatile, Xavier Tillman-like four, P.J. Tucker type of four. P.J. Tucker fits on any single damn team, man. He's so damn good. There's a ring. And then, yeah, you know, and he beat every single Houston Rockets starting member in the 2018 season. Those are his friends, too, like Chris yeah. Paul and the boys. And Horford plays a five. You can do that. And I think oh. th- their best lineup is just getting somebody who can – be a true four. Team sucks. You no, know, because I think right now they just have so many mismatching pieces. Well, it's going to be hard to put this roster together. I mean, I'll tell you where it went wrong. The Kyrie trade was what yeah. really set things back for them because then the Kyrie trade leads to a bunch of other things. So you had the Kyrie trade, which didn't work out. You had Gordon Hayward, which for reasons out of their control with the injuries, then the fit, which was their fault. It didn't work out. Then you're bringing Kemba Walker, which was a disaster. Uh- Al Horford. I really push back didn't on that. Out. It wasn't a disaster. It was a disaster. Injuries messed up Kemba for a little bit. The first run was cool, you know, and, and they did go to the ECF with Kemba on the team. But I think was, well, you know what I think really messed him up: the Gordon Hayward injury. The first one, the really bad one. Mm-hmm. I think that's what really messed him up because that was really their time to really, you know, that year yeah. they went to the ECF. It's fair. They played LeBron. That really could have been the year when they went to the finals. I don't know if they won it. Yeah, they probably lost. But still, getting there with those young guys, I think that was really kind of something that kind of like pushed them back, and then everything started to... It it almost just seems like everything... Everybody that went there, something went wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, for some reason, 
it doesn't feel like it, but at the same time, it does. Jason Tatum has been to what? Three Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah. Or two? Three. I think three. Three. Name me the two. I know the first like one as a rookie. LeBron, then the bubble. Bubble. And then the one before. Oh, no. That wasn't the Eastern Conference Finals. You're thinking about the Bucks. That was. No, I thought he went to three. The year the year they lost to the Bucks was the second, second round. round. I could have swore he went to three. So, so he, he went, went to two. two Eastern Conference Finals and lost in the second. So round. he's been in the league for four years. Tatum already has two Eastern Conference appearances and has been showing out in playoffs. And for some reason, he doesn't get talked about enough. I feel like we praise more. We praise John Morant more for having a good first round series and Donovan Mitchell for getting to the second round more than we talk about Tatum really? getting to the ECF two times. I already. see people praise Tatum like he's Jesus. I mean, he's close. You can make the you can make the East West argument because two of those years the East wasn't necessarily yeah, as strong. It, it, it was really weak. It was really weak. I and, think that was the year. But I yeah. still. But I, they beat the Bucks in the first round. The eighth seed Bucks. Yeah, they were eighth seed at that point. Uh, no, yeah, never mind. And but Philly too. They you, did. You bring they up a good supposed point. to be Philly. You yeah. bring up a good point. Yeah, they beat Philly with Dan. Nope, Simmons I found was it. Horrible. I found it. No, I didn't find it. I <laughs> went to two ECFs. I just don't. The year before was Isaiah. Yeah, that right, was with right, right, that right, was with right. Jay Crowder. And yeah, the, that, it was guys. Isaiah then Tatum. I don't think that. Yo, I just don't know that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum ever reach what we thought that they were going to because I I just. I don't know that either of them will blossom the way they should. Like, I think Jalen Brown, if he does get traded to a place like Washington, will take another step up if he can have the ball more and, and be able to grow through kind of like what Tatum went through in, in the beginning of his career in Boston. and He kind of got that growth early. I don't know if Jalen Brown has gotten that opportunity to be the main mm-hmm. guy. And when he was this year, he was awesome in Boston. Jalen Brown's got in, a, got in a bad shake because... After that phenom- phenomenal playoff run where he was the second best player the very next year, Hayward comes back, yep. Brown is on the bench. Yep. And he doesn't he doesn't start more than half the games. And now Gordon goes and now he's a starter. I think Brown hasn't been given a chance to fully blossom. It's kind of there's always been something to stunt his development. I don't think they ever win a championship with with those two guys together. And I think they end up moving on from one of them and it'll probably be Brown because Tatum is mm-hmm. his ceiling is just too too high to give up on. Yeah, I think so, Kinda too. Kind of like Kawhi and PG. Yeah. Pretty and much. I told you, I told you Brown and Tatum were a great value version of Kawhi and PG. <laughs> like, if, like... If, if Kawhi and PG can't win a chip, Brown and Tatum can't. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Wow. That's well, actually a great comparison. Yeah. I mean... Wow. Yeah. That was solid. That was a good one. I've mentioned it before. That was a solid one. Yeah, yeah. That was solid. Because, yeah, PG's like Brown, and then Tatum's obviously like Kawhi. That's crazy. Well, <laughs> Boston sucks, bro. I don't know what to tell you. Like, they just their team is horrible. It feels like they're cursed. I mean, they Isaiah Thomas curse. Wow, bro. Yeah, they did Isaiah Thomas dirty. They did. I'm gonna keep it a hundred. Who cares? I do. Yeah, that I was fucked. Basketball gods, oh, yeah. apparently. Yeah, that was bad though. Basketball. They didn't even tell him how severe his injury was. For real? Yeah, they didn't. That was my favorite player too. Really? Yeah. Dude sucks now. <laughs> Like he, he dropped like twenty in a in a in a he did. in a pro am or I don't know where in the Drew League. Yeah, I think Isaiah Thomas still got it. He just has to go to the right he's a, he's a hooper. He's a hooper for real. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas isn't a basketball player. He's a hooper for real. He's a hooper. <laughs> on to this uh, short segment. So we have a new segment on the show. Probably not going to be here for long. It, it's it's on this show because there's just so much news we have to talk about that 
probably isn't worthy of an entire segment. And if and if it was a segment, this show would be like four hours long, and we don't want that to happen. This is something new we're adding. Yeah, maybe if there's a lot of stuff going on in the week, we'll add that show. This is a short new segment. And first, we got to talk about these NBA trade rumors. And, and the first one I want to talk about is it's not on the topic list, but it, it's, it just happened. There was a rumor that OKC tried to trade Shea in the sixth overall pick for the first overall pick, which is Cade Cunningham, and the, and the Pistons declined. Troy Weaver has since come out and said that, don't believe everything you read, so maybe he's hinting at that that wasn't true. But in your opinion, do you think Shea has become overrated or underrated? Because the backlash to this trade was, why didn't the Pistons accept? And then the other side was, how good do you guys think Shea really is? Is he, you know, you think Cade Cunningham is not going to be better than Shea? People think, a lot of people think Shea is getting overrated now. So where do you stand on this debate? Is Shea getting overrated or underrated? I think, you know, I did some research on this. I was looking at uh, Oklahoma City's team as a whole this year, and I was looking at the type of spacing they had and the type of, you know, players that they had and how much Shea had to really work for himself. Shea is one of the best ISO scorers in the NBA. He's one of the best creators in the NBA. He was actually, he had one of the worst spacings in the NBA. He's one of the most efficient guys in the isolation, in one-on-one situations. I think for Detroit, this would, it's dumb if the, if this trade did happen, if they didn't accept it, it's dumb. You're getting a six pick, which could possibly be another star, and you're getting SGA who has proven no matter the situation, no matter the location, He's going to do what SGA do. He's a scorer. He's a playmaker. He's a solid defender. Like it's This is a guy who, in, in a winning situation out in L.A., he did he played his role well as a rookie. And then with Chris Paul, he played his role as a second guy. So I think that was dumb if it did happen. They didn't accept it. But I think he's definitely being underrated in the NBA. I think, like Riv said, if the Pistons got offered this, they should have taken it and run because at six, in this draft specifically, there is so much talent at the top. They could have gotten a potential star at six, and Shea has proven that he can be, and I think an all-star type talent in the league, and that's yeah. something that nobody in the draft can say they've done. I think he's perfectly rated, and I know that that's like kind of a corny thing to say, <laughs> but I think where people consider him to be at, which is a blossoming young star, I think that's exactly what he is, and... You know, I think people like to get into the overrated, underrated talk and the pendulum swings and it'll go back and forth forever. But I think where people consider him right now is exactly what he is. That's a great answer. And I actually disagree. I didn't give a great answer. In the fact that. In the fact that. If the Pistons were offered this trade, I would have declined it as well. And if they did decline it, I, I agree with the decision, because when I look at Cade, I view an MVP. I see an MVP caliber player. I see a top 10, top five player. I think Shea at his best is going to peak like top 20, top 15. Do you think Shea can become better than Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker? If you don't think so, you don't think he can be a top 10 player in the league. I don't want to say nothing. I look stupid. So you're a, you're, you're the type of GM that just goes on the big, I'm just going to prey on his potential. That's what type of team. I've seen what I think, you know, it for, took Shay. Sorry to cut you off. No, but no, it it took Shay until his third season to, to crack 20 points per Wait, game. Okay. Add context to that. Cade in his rookie year will average 20 points, five rebounds and five he assists. He got drafted to the no Pistons. doubt about it. Shay got drafted to the Clippers and he was behind Lou Will, Pat Bevin. And his second year, he averaged 17 with Chris with Paul, Chris Paul and, 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 a, and a good team. I'm, I'm just saying. So wait, 
You Cade said, from day one is going to be that's that's fair in the All Star conversation. That's fair. So you don't. I'm not sure about Shea. I think Shea is a, is a, look. He's a blossoming star. You're absolutely right. I think he's actually like you know perfectly rated as well. I don't think he's underrated, <clears throat> depending on who you ask. Because some people think Jamal Murray is better than Shea. Playoff Jamal Murray is no doubt about it. Uh, which he playoff Jamal Murray is just a superstar in general. Yeah, but we go consistency all year. So, I mean, you could say that, but Shea only played 35 games. He got hurt. But but I'll be honest. In those 35 games, OKC went 16 and 19, and without him, they went six and 31. So he he impacts winning and he's efficient. So those aren't garbage stats. I love Shea's game, but I don't know if I could trade Cade Cunningham. Wait, you know what? Oh, I'll sorry, say I'll say for Detroit, I might rescind what I said because Detroit needs an MVP, like you said, and I don't know that Shea will become that. And I guess you bank on the fact that Cade does hopefully become that because they really need to just. They they need a miracle essentially because they have the bare they have the most bare bones roster in the entire <laughs> league right now so they really need a prayer with this number one pick and I don't know necessarily that Shea and six would provide what Cade could so wait we don't are we is it out of the world to think SGA can be better than Devin Booker it's not out of the no. world oh okay I just wanted to make sure I okay it's not but also we just saw Devin Booker do what he does. Do what? He went to the finals in his first year, in his first playoffs. Oh, we sh- oh, so we're just going to say that outlandishly without any context? We're just going to say that. I'm just saying Devin Booker showed out in his first playoffs. But on to the next topic, on to the next news cycle that happened or rumor. The Rockets are looking to move up in the draft. And they want to package Eric Gordon and the 23rd overall pick to move up to the 13th overall pick and trade with Indiana. So Indiana would get Eric Gordon. They're losing Doug McDermott, and I don't. I'm not sure about Jeremy Lamb in free agency. I think he is a free agent. I think I think so too. But who do you think the Rockets should target with the 13th overall pick? I have one in mind. I think Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson. Just off potential. You think they would go potential at 13? Yes, because I think you have KPJ, you have Christian Wood, you have Jalen Green. Right. And in that spot, there are a lot of two guards. So three, four. Like Moody, uh, Johnson. I mean, Moody, Keon, Johnson. They, I think they need a defender and a four. And I think that's Jalen Johnson. You know, you can have a lineup out there of KPJ, Green, Jay Sean Tate, Jalen Johnson, Christian Wood. Wouldn't be too bad. I agree. You know, I think at that point in time, you know, you didn't already got your guy in Jalen Green. You got KPJ at the one. You kind of need a wing because Eric Gordon, he can play the wing, but he's kind of gone. Daniel House, you know, he's not that good, realistically. Well, Eric Gordon would be in the trade. Yeah, so I say he'll be gone. Yeah. He can play, but he'll be gone. So I think, yeah, getting Jalen Johnson and just banking on his work ethic and his potential, I think at that point, 13, it's just like, all right, we're just going to go get that guy. So, yeah, I agree. I think Jalen Johnson would probably be the pick. Do you think that KPJ is a one? Because you he, said KPJ is a one. Yes, he um, so says he'll be there. He, he, he tweeted, says he I'm a point guard. A, yeah. He said he's a point guard. And he actually had a couple double-double assists. He's He's just different. I mean, if, if Book Knight could fall that Buck far, yeah. I think that that would be thirteen a, a great pick, but I don't think he makes it that far. So wait, you would pick Green and Buck Knight? Well, it depends. Well, that's a that's a big question now is who they take it to. Mobley. Can they get up to one? I don't think that they can. If they so can get up to would, one, because what if they package get thirteen, then package it to get one? Two. It would be interesting. 20, 20, 20. I don't think 
Detroit I don't think, does that. Yeah, I don't think mm. Detroit would do it either. I think they're locking on Cade, bro. I really do. Keep the only smoke but, but, like, what what forwards are there in this draft, like, that they can draft at 13? Trey Murphy. Like, Usman I mean, Garuba, get, Trey Murphy. Jalen Johnson, but I personally, I'm just not high on him at all. Corey Kispert. Do you think Shingun would be there? I think Shingun would be there. But do you want to have Christian Wood and Shingun? I don't think so. I look at Christian Wood so differently. He's not really a five. Yeah, he's more of a four. He plays eyes. out in the perimeter a lot. I don't. I don't really see him as. Shangun is more of a four too, though. Yeah, so it's it. Kisper, Gu- Kisper Garuba wouldn't then. be bad. Kisper wouldn't be a bad fit. A I think Garuba. Spacer. They need a defender. Yeah, yeah because you're going to have two playmakers and, and like ISO scores. If you do take Jalen Green, you'll have him and, and KPJ who are like ISO scores. Kisper could space it out. You know he he can shoot the spot up three. Can play. I think with. Playmaking guards like Jalen. I think they should get Garuba. You know they need some defensive identity, and Christian Wood is just mad skinny. He can block shots, but I think he gets bullied a lot. So I think and Jason Tate. I'm sorry, he's six four. We're just not doing that. <laughs> like at least I think he's six five. Garuba's six eight, but he has long arms. Tate, come on, like nah. We're not I doing, said I think Garuba's a perfect role player. Yeah, we're not doing that Houston. small ball lineup anymore with Houston. So another rumor is that the Lakers are trying to trade for Buddy Hield, and Kyle Kuzma would be the centerpiece. <laughs> oh my. Of this trade, and honestly, I'm not sure if Sacramento would do it. I think if they do trade Heald for Kuzma and like a pick, they would buy, they would kind of be crazy because I think Heald is a very good player. But for LA, if you give LeBron Buddy Heald type spacing, oh my gosh! Last five seasons, he has shot 45.6 percent on wide open three point shots, 44 percent on catch and shoot three point shots. 37% on pull-up three-point shots, and fourth in the NBA in total three points made. And he's trigger-happy. So if he were to play with LeBron and AD and you re-sign Dennis Schroeder, I think that's a pretty damn good team. Well, I know he, he's unhappy in Sacramento, so that could influence it. If they could somehow get a package surrounding Kuzma to get Buddy Hill, they should not even I think, think the perfect lineup it. would probably be Braun at the one, KCP and healed at the two and the three. I don't know who'll be at the four, but AD at the five. I think having those two shooters out there will create so much spacing. KCP, you know, he's still inconsistent, but he, you're not going to leave him a lot open. He can still shoot the three ball. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at that Lakers title run, and one of the biggest things for them was it seemed like every game somebody different stepped up <laughs> shooting the ball, whether it was KCP. Rondo did it some nights. Caruso. You know, Caruso did it some nights. So they had a bunch of get different guys contributing. and They had an identity. If, if they could get somebody like Buddy Heald, who you know he's going to come in and shoot the ball well every night, or at least most nights, that would be huge just consistency-wise for what the Lakers are trying to do with a playmaker like LeBron. He's going to give you 19 a night. Especially as LeBron gets older, as he settles back more into that playmaking role. He's going to have the defense diving in um, every year the rest of his career. Yeah. So to get those shooters out there, I, that would make a world's difference for the Lakers. And I don't think Buddy Hield is a cone on defense. I think he, he's all right. He's an underrated defender. Yeah. I think he is. I just don't know how they're going to get him. Nobody wants Kuzma. Well, potentially, I was reading if Harrell opts in, he could be a he part did, of the Didn't he too. just opt in? Did he? I'm not even sure. I'm not sure. I haven't. If read he did, I, I've read that he could be yeah, in the package. Cool. Which, I mean, it would be personally. I still wouldn't accept that if I was the Kings. But well, it it, they'll be free agents, so it's just filling up cap space at this point for Sacramento, even though nobody go there. Pick. Yeah. And this this other news that came out is that it just popped up on my phone. 
that the Pelicans are going to heavily pursue Kyle Lowry and they're going to they're going to throw a lot of money at him because they think he can have a similar role to what Chris Paul had to Phoenix and though that's not the only team that wants Lowry the Lakers the Mavericks the Sixers the Heat are all expected Clippers. to pursue Lowry the Clippers what team do you think is the best destination for him I would have said the Clippers if Kawhi was playing but since he's not playing, I think L.A. poses the best chance for him to win, just for him to win. I don't think Miami with Kyle Lowry is going to get past the Nets if they're healthy or even the Bucks. I think with L.A. being as if the Clippers are probably down for the count, the Warriors, we don't know what Clay's defense is going to look like. Phoenix is going to still be at the top. But Chris Paul, we don't know what his situation is like. Denver, you can beat Denver. I think Kyle Lowry puts L.A. right back at the top of the mountain, and I think that puts him at the best chance to win a championship. I also would have said the Mavericks if Kawhi was healthy. He could have been that playmaker that they've seemingly been looking for. You said for the two. Mavericks. I mean, yeah, I would also would have said the Clippers if Kawhi was healthy. He would have been that playmaker that they've been looking for for two years now and haven't found. I do like the fit with the Mavericks. It would give you know another ball handler to take a little bit of the load off Luka handling the ball, and he's also a good defender. And that's been really one of the good. biggest problems for the Mavericks is finding those defenders, especially on guards. So could be a good fit in Dallas, but I don't know if he makes that big of a difference for any of these teams. It's crazy because he's dead old and he still plays at a really yeah. Yeah, he plays at a really high level. For me, man, I like the Pelicans a lot because of Zion, of Ingram, Jonas now, Lowry. If with that seventeenth pick they can get a Chris Duarte. I mean, how many games would a Lowry, Duarte, Ingram, Zion, Valanciunas starting lineup win? I think that's 48 wins. But where would it really realistically put them? I agree, but I think right now the next step for the Pelicans is to make the playoffs and give Zion that experience. And I think Willie Green is going to be a really good coach. I'm really high on Willie Green. But, man, (laughs) I just love this fit with Dallas. Mm. I do. I think Luka with Lowry... Man, that's good. That's a good duo. I really like that a lot. I, I think you've just seen what we've seen from Luka. If you add a guy like Lowry who can take some of the pressure off of Luka and bring in that defensive leadership and a winning mindset, that can take the Mavericks from a first-round team to a Western Conference Finals team. Yeah, I think Lowry's that big of a, that big of a deal for Dallas if he goes. And I think it sounds a little corny, but... I think that championship experience is one of the biggest things he would bring to any of these teams because that mindset in a locker room means a lot more than people realize it does from the outside. And he's one of the few champions that were impact players on a championship team over the past five years that will be available over this free agency and the and the season moving ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, like Dallas sounds good, but I just think if he wants to win, what better places LA. to win it with LeBron, you know? And not to mention, bringing in Kyle Lowry could bring in maybe a DeMar DeRozan. They're our best friends, you know, so that could be another guy. Uh, he would have to take a pay cut if he went to I think he would. I mean, I was, watching, I was watching Shannon Sharp and him interview, and basically his number one mindset is he just wants to win. He could care less about the money. He just he's made wants his to money. Win. Yeah. yeah. He's at this point in his life, he just wants to win. So I wonder what it feels like in that position. <laughs> because he just makes so much money. He's yeah, because. Made, what, $100 million at least. plus? Even if you make that much money, to take a pay cut from potentially $25 million to a $10 million a year contract, a $15 million difference is a lot of money. A lot of money. 
Hope he has a good financial advisor. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of what I would do with a million. Imagine <laughs> having 15 million in the bank. That's crazy. I would not have the integrity. Well, he's he. When he I was uh, watching an interview about him. He was talking about how he lived in Toronto. So, like, when he first got drafted and all his buddies got drafted to, like, you know, USA and they all went to parties. And when he got drafted, there was no other rookies. So he was kind of like with older guys. So he just stayed in the gym nonstop. He didn't really go out, spend money in the party. And so he actually has a lot of money from like his rookie deals and his first couple deals saved up. So that's probably why he just He doesn't look like a high profile type of guy. He be chilling. Yeah. Somebody, somebody asked him who, who the best player is in the league. He said, me, 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 and me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's delusional. <laughs> so a lot of NFL stuff happened that I think is worthy of talking about. So first off, the Saints signed Brian Poole to a one-year deal. And as a Jets fan, Jack and I are Jets fans. We know how Brian. We know how good Brian Poole is. He's been one of the better slot corners in the NFL the last couple of years. He can play outside as well, and this was big for the Saints. They lost uh, Trey Hendrickson, Janoris Jenkins, and now the secondary includes Lattimore, Gardner Johnson, Marcus Brian Williams. Poole, Marcus Williams, Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, their defense is is really good, but it's just about that offense if they can yep. click without Michael Thomas. But I think Brian Poole was an excellent signing, and whoever his agent is. He has to fire him today <laughs> because the fact that Brian Poole is only getting one-year deals and not even multi-year yeah. contracts is a travesty. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for the Saints this year, it's really about that defense. I think with losing Drew Brees, MT, we just found out he's going to be out for a little bit. Kamara's going to do a lot of the carrying like he did earlier in the season last year, and that Saints defense is going to have to hold its own all year. And I think with bringing in Brian Poole, it fills up that second corner slot because we know what Marshawn Lattimore could do. We know how good Marcus uh, Williams is. We know how good that defensive line is. So it's really just about getting that, getting Brian Poole in there. And I think that defense is going to do a lot of the carry. Yeah, I was hoping the Jets would bring back Brian Poole. And, no. You know, I, I thought last year the fact that they got him back in a one-year deal was a steal. I think he was only making like $5 million too, which is crazy. For what, you guys? Yeah, last year. And he was one of the better slot corners in the entire league. So this is a great addition for the Saints under the radar. And I think their secondary is going to be awesome again. But like you said, I think the offense is going to be the big question mark. The defense is really going to have to step up. This is a nice addition. They better not start gadget guy. And the next thing that happened is that the Minnesota Vikings signed wide receiver Didi Westbrook. And I I, I do think this is a big time move. You think so? Really? I do. Because I think they need a wide receiver number three. And last year, the Vikings were one of the worst teams at Kick returning and punt returning. D.D. Westbrook, I think last year or two years ago, had a longer kick or punt return than the Vikings had all year last year in terms of like total oh, so he had more, total yards wow. returning. D.D. Westbrook is a guy who you can bank on having 600 to 7 yards receiving every single year. He did that in Jacksonville with a bad quarterback in Blake Bortles and then Gardner Minshew, who's not that good. And he's also reuniting with his wide receiver coach in Keenan McCardle, who was his coach in Jacksonville. So I think that familiarity, along with him, his production, can help at that offense. I mean, now you have Adam Thielen. You have Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith Jr. D.D. Westbrook as a wide receiver number three is really freaking good. Yeah, yeah, you kind of just completely kind of just like changed my whole mindset on it. Because, you know, throwing up six, 600, 700 yards with a bad QB, 
probably he was probably the number one or the number two receiver in Jacksonville. He probably received a lot of attention. Now in Minnesota, you're not going to see double coverage. You're not going to see a lot of man or the best corner of the other team because JJ and Adam Thielen is going to get a lot of touches and see a lot of those elite corners. So this is a chance for him to really blossom and really get that shine and become that number three dominant receiver in the NFL. Yeah, you guys kind of hit on all the points. Like there's probably not five better situations in the league to go to as the number three wide receiver than the Vikings right now. You're going to be getting some of the best looks of your life mm-hmm. in that three spot behind Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. How is any defense going to cover the third wide receiver on that team? So it's going to be huge opportunities for DD this year. And I, I like what the Vikings have done this offseason. Yeah. I mean, I think they are a sleeper team. I really do. <laughs> The Vikings, to me, we'll talk about it later on in the show, but, man, they are my sleeper team this season. If Kirk Cousins was just clutcher, if they had, like, let's say this, if they had Josh Allen, they are going to the Super Bowl. Oh, that's fine. If they had a top five quarterback, top seven, they go to the Super Bowl. But Kirk Cousins, just his track record in big-time games, it kind of scares me off. But, you know, Westbrook was a great addition, and I'm looking forward to see what he does. He's coming back from a torn ACL. So we'll see if that affects him. But I think now in the modern sports world, an ACL isn't what it used to be. An ACL used to be your career is over. But now it's not that anymore. Another wide receiver move that happens that the Bears traded Anthony Miller to the Texans. He's a slot wide receiver. And it just came out that the Texans are about to trade Randall Cobb back to the Packers so they can make Aaron Rodgers happy. (laughs) I think this was okay. I mean, Miller's an average receiver. I think this entire offseason has been made up of the Texans just getting average NFL players and filling out that roster. And the Bears will be fine. They have Demir's Denier Bird, who was the Patriots' best wide receiver last year. They have Marquise Goodwin, who's one of the fastest receivers in the NFL. Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson. I think they didn't need Anthony Miller. So this was... A win for the Bears and I guess win for the Texans because I think Anthony Miller's average. Yeah, this is like a whatever move. I, realistically, I only care about the Texans because they're about to trade Deshaun Watson to the Are Eagles. They? I hope to God. Like, I'm praying at my house. But this is just whatever move. Anthony Miller is cool. I like his name. You know, he's a pretty good receiver. He's average at the best. But this is just Texans just being the Texans. I mean, the first thing I thought about when I heard about this deal was Randall Cobb going back to the Packers because I know that that was when, like, one of the top requests for Last Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he came back, it kind of signaled that that move was going to go in motion. So, like you guys said, it's kind of a whatever move. I don't think it makes a big difference for either of these teams. And you know, I, I do wonder what happens with the Bears receiving core next year because I don't think Allen Robinson is going to come back after his tag is up. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder what the dynamic is going to be there if they look receiver next year in the draft or, or whatever. So just another guy out of the mix there. When they had to reevaluate this offseason. Some other some two two more things happened, and that's the Seahawks and Jamal Adams aren't close on a deal, but they have said that they're willing to make him the highest paid safety in the NFL. Right now, the highest paid safety is Justin Simmons at fifteen point two million dollars. But Jamal Adams wants eighteen million. Yeah. And the, the highest paid safety would be sixteen million, but I think Jamal Adams doesn't want that. He wants eighteen closer to 20 and three-time pro bowler, 83 tackles last season, 11 for loss, nine and a half sacks. He set the safety sack record or the sack record for, for secondary players, 14 quarterback hits. Jamal Adams is a dog, but this happened with New York with the jets is that he wanted more money and 
he was a problem. He was causing a rift. And the Jets traded him for two first-round picks, and it ended up turning into Elijah Vera Tucker, which I'm very happy about. And the Seahawks have no choice but to pay Adams because they already traded those two first for Jamal Adams. And Jamal Adams has said that he's going to report to camp. So it's not like he's sitting out. He's going to still report to camp and play for them. But that's what he wants right now. I think this is kind of like the same. Uh, it's not same, but sort of like the situation with Xavier Howard, where he's looking at his other safeties and he feels like he's the best in the league. He wants to get paid like he's the best in the league. And he thinks he's better than the other safeties in the league. And, you know, it's it, it's right to feel that way. Jamal Adams is without a doubt, if not one, if not the best, he is one of the best safeties in the league. But like you said, the Seahawks are going to have to do it because they already traded away their picks. And they're kind of in a situation where they kind of need to keep that talent around Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson and continue to be competitive in his prime. Yeah, it, it was always my concern with the Jets was giving out that big extension to Jamal Adams. And if it was $16 million, I think that's something I can live with because that, that's around you know what you're paying for a safety. But when you're talking like 18 to 20, yeah. especially when you get towards 20, because that was the number that I heard when he was in New York and what he was looking for was $20 million. Now you're talking like elite level edge rusher talent, and that is that usually has much more of a bigger impact on the game. It's an impact, more of an impact position. So you know that number scares me to give out to a safety, especially one that is historically not great in coverage. That's not to take away from what he does because he is one of, if not the best safety in the league. I just don't know if I'm going to pay him twenty million dollars a year, and that was always my concern with the Jets. So I don't blame the Seahawks for being tentative. And the last time big the last big time thing that happened is that Chandler Jones has requested a trade from the Arizona Cardinals. And I'm not sure how I feel about this. I mean, when they first got JJ Watt, I thought a duo of JJ and Chandler Jones is awesome. I think Chandler Jones doesn't get traded, but a scenario I thought of would was the Cardinals trading Chandler Jones to the Dolphins for Xavier Howard. The Dolphins get an edge rusher and the Cardinals get a great cornerback in Xavier Howard and fill that need for them. But wouldn't they have to pay Howard? Yeah, they would. So either way, they got to pay somebody, right? So it's like, who would you rather pay? You know what I'm saying? I'd rather pay Xavier Howard right now. He just had a monster year. You know, he played like the best cornerback in the NFL. Uh, But I was reading up on it. Chandler, he did report to practice, if I'm not mistaken. So he is going to still play. I think he's probably going to – I think he's probably going to play out this last year and just leave. You know, I, him and J.J. Watt's going to be fun to watch. But I feel like Arizona should have definitely did something to keep that defensive line intact. You know, Chandler Jones, he's a monster at his position. But like like you said, trading that, trading him for Xavier Howard, obviously one of them is going to get paid. Xavier Howard kind of in the same situation, just wanted their money, wanted to feel like they were the best at their position, and that money makes them feel that way. So I, I understand it from Chandler Jones' perspective. Yeah, and like you said, I kind of get where he's coming from. They gave J.J. Watt that big bag coming in this year, and you know I understand why he would feel a bit slighted, but I saw the Cardinals say essentially they're not entertaining it, which makes me happy because <laughs> I love that they brought in J.J. Watt. They added to that defense. I think they could be a really good team. It helps out Kyler Murray and his development if his defense is better, and, and adding J.J. Watt next to Chandler Jones makes that Cardinals defense not only formidable but scary. So, you know, it, it's... It's going to be an exciting year to see, and you wonder if that team has success, some success this year, makes some noise, and, and gets to the playoffs if it doesn't change Chandler Joe's mind. And that's going to do it for this uh, short news segment. Uh-huh. This is pretty quick, not that long. I think it's pretty cool. There was a lot of stuff here that 
is newsworthy that is worth talking about, but just making it, making it to a full segment is just too much work. If we had all of these, this show would be like 16, 15 segments. Now we're talking about football, and the big story that happened is that Aaron Rodgers will play for the Green Bay Packers. He is going to have one last dance mm. in Green Bay. And this the conditions of this contract that he's coming back on, or the conditions of him coming back are that after the 2021 season, so after this season, he gets to have the decision of whether he wants to be traded or he wants to stay. And the 2023 year of his contract would be voided. So 2022, after that, he's a free agent and there's no tags on on him so he can go wherever he chooses to go to. And this bolstered the Packers Super Bowl odds. I'm happy for Packers fans. They got Rodgers back. I'm sad for me because I wanted Jordan Love to play. I, w- I wanted to see what Jordan Love is made of. I wanted to see how good he really was. And this begs a question, which team is winning the NFC North now? Is it the Packers, the Aaron Rodgers, or do you have the team that I have, the Minnesota Vikings? Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'll just say immediately, I think if Aaron Rodgers didn't come back, this is a no-brainer. The Vikings oh, yeah. would have won the division. And I don't think the other two teams in the division have a chance. I think the Bears and Lions still have so much more growth left. And, you know, the Bears are at least in the right direction. The Lions are still trying to figure out that identity. But Aaron Rodgers coming back makes it at least a question. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think like yeah, like you said, no brainer. The Vikings was gonna run away with this division if Aaron Rodgers didn't play. But if now that Aaron Rodgers is playing, I I have the Green Bay Packers winning the division. I just think based off last year, you know, the, the last two years, you know, they've been a consistent top team in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, that defense is still there. They brought, they got Adam Jones back. They paid him his money. So I think, you know, they lost a couple pieces, but for the most part, they kept their core intact. Jair Alexander still there. Darius Smith is still there. And Aaron Rodgers is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think when you have that, anything can happen. So I think I'm going to ride with Aaron Rodgers. I feel like he's going to win the division. And no disrespect to Minnesota, they're a really good team. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is still in the picture. Aaron Jones, to correct you, you said Adam. Pardon me. Pac-Man, that's what I was thinking of. The Packers are still not going to win this division. It's going to be the Minnesota Vikings. It's going to be Skull Nation. And the reason why is because last year they went 7-9, and which isn't that great. But when you take into account that they had the worst defense in the entire NFL, one of the worst defenses, that's a pretty damn good record. When you take into account that Dalvin Cook missed some key games, which cost them games, that is a huge thing you have to take into account. And this defense is adding nine players. Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, Bashad Breeland, Xavier Woods, Daniil Hunter, Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce, Anthony Barr, and Nick Vigil. I mean, these guys are all good to great players on defense. And now that Minnesota has them, they are going to be a lot to be a top 10 defense. And then you have Jefferson, Thielen, Cook, Irv Smith. They just got D.D. Westbrook. C.J. Ham being their fullback who has been the model of consistency. The Vikings have it all. And their matchups against Green Bay have been close. And they have had the upper hand against them the past couple of years. I think the Vikings are going to win the division. And they have a third-place schedule. They were the third place in the NFC North. Because of that, they have that third place schedule. The Packers will have the first place schedule. 
they're going to face a lot of tough teams. And may, maybe Randall Cobb coming back helps them a little bit more in terms of receivers because now they have Adams Cobb, Valdez Scantling, and then Adam Lazard, and also Robert Tunyon. But when I see the Vikings, I just think this year they're primed for that breakout year. And they have talent on the offensive line. They do. They're young. They're a good run-blocking line. They have to get better at pass blocking and give Cousins some more time. But I just think this is the year that Minnesota takes this division over. I do think Green Bay makes the playoff still, but I think Minnesota will be the first team in this division. Well, like I said, I think without Aaron Rodgers, it's not even a question. But now that Aaron Rodgers is back, I, I think he covers up some of the holes that the Packers do have. He, he would make any team in the league uh, a contender to win their division. I, I think without question, he is on that level. One of those few guys that would do that. And I do have questions about Kirk Cousins and his ability to play in big games. You know, it's something that concerns you. I think you mentioned it. Both of these teams will be playoff teams in my mind. And I think the Vikings can give the Packers a run for their money. But I think at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers versus Kirk Cousins is going to be the difference in the division. Yeah, that's a great point. Division runs through Green Bay, man. Let's just be realistic. No, but I do think it's closer than it should be because I don't think the Packers really improved much this offseason. They didn't. You know, and, and they fired Mike Pettin. I think I think was a crazy move because the defense got better last year. I think you've been knocking on the door of the Packers aren't going to do this for the past two, three it's seasons. It's been one year. It was two. It's been one. It's two. We it's have, been we one. have footage. It's two. It's, it's been two. one. It's two. It was last year. It was the year before that, too. Well, in 2018, I said the Bears would win the division, and they did. They went 12-4. and four. It's 2021, bro. Yeah, but in, 20, in 2019, I didn't say Green Bay wouldn't win. I said Green Bay would win. No, you did not. Yes, I did. How are you going to tell me what I said? What the hell? Anyways, you've been, you've been wanting the Packers to fail for a very long time, bro. You said they was. You said last year they weren't going to be that good. They ended up at the NFC Championship. Look, I, look, I, I'm a fan of Aaron Rodgers. I'm a and fan of the Packers. The brilliance of Aaron Rodgers. If it were me, if I were in Wisconsin right now, I'd buy a cheese head and put it on my head. I, I'm a fan of the Packers. Cheese head. You never seen it? I'm a fan of Green Bay, but I'm realistic. I'm realistic as well. In 2018, I said the Bears going to kill Lil Mac. That's the difference. They're going to win that division. They did that. They almost won a playoff game. They didn't because of Cody Parkey. Old news. <laughs> but this year, I look at the Vikings and I say... And you think they're a better team? The moves they made, they cannot be slapped But you don't, you don't think Aaron Rodgers is the difference? Because if we look at... Let me ask you. We look he at can. Minnesota and we look at Green Bay. Obviously, we're going to all agree Minnesota's the better team. But you don't think Kirk Cousins kind of like sets them back whereas Aaron Rodgers lifts Green Bay? Because I don't think Green Bay... I don't think you if, – if I would have asked you last year or the year before, do you think Green Bay is going to make the NFC Championship? I don't think you would have said yeah. Last year, no. Yeah, so it's like – and he consistently has kept them or uplifted them, whereas he puts them over the top, whereas we may not think they're that good. But then Aaron Rodgers just does Aaron Rodgers think they're better than what Look, they are. I agree with, with, with what you're saying. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever played this game. I don't think Kirk Cousins holds back the Vikings as much as we think he does. I think – the offensive line fails him a lot. He barely okay. has time to throw a lot of the times. If that offensive line gets better this year, there is no question who I'm taking in terms of a game. I, I still have the Vikings win a division, but if the offensive line was actually good, this isn't even a debate. But you said he wasn't clutch, though. 
well, he has had the tendency to not win those big games. But when you look at the context of mm-hmm. those games, there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons as to why he doesn't win. For example, last year, Sunday night or Monday night football, one of those versus Seattle. He lost that game. But if it wasn't for Alexander Madison hitting the hole mm-hmm. and getting one yard, the Vikings win and they're eight and eight. That's fair. So there are a lot of there's context behind those losses. And I don't think just blaming Cousins is the way to go because if, if you look at his stats in those primetime games, mm-hmm. he plays well in primetime games. I can see either of these two teams winning the division without a question. For now, I'm going to bet on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers because I've seen them do it. I might change my mind if I do see the Vikings offensive line come out and play better this year because they have everything else. That defense is going to be an elite unit. That Mm -hmm. offense we know is an elite unit. They have arguably the best one-two, maybe, well, not in football anymore, now that the Titans went out and traded for Julio Jones. They have a top five one, two, I think, in football coming into this year. They have arguably the best running back in football coming into this year. One of the top three in Dalvin Cook. So it really comes down to the offensive line and Kirk Cousins and how they're going to perform. And for me, going into the year, I'm going to bet on Aaron Rodgers because I know what I'm going to get out of it. Mm. And now to the last topic of the show. This is about Deshaun Watson. Houston is now open to trading Deshaun Watson Took them long enough because now they're missing a bunch of picks they could have gotten in the draft it's on them, honestly. Is there any chance that he does, in fact, still play in Houston this season, in you, in your opinion? And also, where do you think he gets traded to? I don't I don't think so. I think, I think Deshaun isn't stupid. I think looking at the team, he realized this isn't a win situation. And being as how they have handled his whole situation, handled his arrival, handled the way that he was going to, retire and they was going to talk about he wasn't going to get paid all the, the just the whole situation you know it was just pretty messy and I feel like Deshaun Watson even his agent his agent is telling him there's no point in staying here Houston's not the place for you now looking at the teams he can go to you know obviously Denver would be the best spot you know they have all the talent in the world him going to Denver puts him definitely in the AFC at least in the AFC championship conversation you know what I'm saying Denver the defense is there the offense is 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 it's a work in progress, but it still has some good receivers. Jerry Judah, Cortland Sun is coming back from an injury. Noah Fine, he's not bad, you know. So it, it's a good team, but I think Denver, you know, I've, obviously I could be a homer and say my Philly boys come to Philly, but I think the best chance to win is Denver. I mean, low key, if the Giants were to trade Daniel Jones and some picks, the Giants would be a good destination for him too. But I think Denver would probably be the best option. I might sound crazy here, but I don't think he gets traded. I, and, you know, I don't know if that means he doesn't end up playing or what, or if he does play with the Texans, but I don't think he gets moved at this point because of how inept the Texans were in handling this. And, you know, I guess they couldn't have known about the accusations that he would be facing, but they would have been wise to get him out as soon as they possibly could have because now, not only one, have they lost a bunch of teams who are going to be scared away from his accusations, and rightfully so. I mean, you'd be out of your mind to give up three top two round picks, first and second round picks, and then two starting caliber talents for a guy that you don't even know if he's going to be able to play this year or if he'll ever be allowed to play in the NFL again, depending on how these allegations play out or when he'll be able to play again, how much time he's going to miss. And two, they waited until after the draft. So now at least half of the teams that were considering making a deal for him, including the Jets, 
have drafted their quarterback or went out, traded for a quarterback, made some move to fill that hole. So who's even left that would make a deal now? The Eagles, potentially, the Broncos, the Dolphins, and all of those teams seem to be going into camp confident in one of their guys that they have. So they have overplayed their hand. They have they didn't know when to when the when to fold. You know, <laughs> they, they overplayed their hand. If they would have traded him on draft week, they would have gotten a haul in return. They could have been drafting Zach Wilson at two with potentially, you know, a, a, another starter in the Jets' next round first It's kind of like pick. what Miami did. You know, it, it, they would have gotten a huge haul in return, and now I don't think they're going to be offered that, and I think they're going to continue to hold out until they get a deal that they think is reasonable, and they're going to hope and pray that this case with Deshaun Watson gets settled, and hopefully next year they could have the same lottery. The two teams on my mind are the Eagles and the Dolphins. There have been reports that have said that the Eagles are like, they have a 90% chance of getting Watson. I'm not so sure how true that 90s, is. Please don't I've me. been fooled by a lot of reports this week, and I'm kind of annoyed <laughs> by it, so I'm not going to believe this too much. Miami, I, I think the only reason they were, going to, they were going out to trade for Watson is because they don't really believe in Tua. And I think if the opportunity is there, they'll jump on it. Truthfully, I think Deshaun Watson is that great. They would jump on it. But moving away from the best fit, right now the NFL hasn't put him on the exemplus. So he's eligible to play this season, and his civil cases won't be this year. His depositions are January 20th? Yeah, I think February. But he can play this February. year. I think his case is, is February. And two new women have filed complaints against Watson to the Houston Police Department. And there was this quote from Tony Busby, which is the defendants, uh, lawyers as of, or the victim that the women, the, the lawyer for the women, as of today, almost half of these women have given sworn statements to the police and almost half have spoken to the NFL's executive team. Both processes are very lengthy. We expect to provide further information to the NFL from all victims. 22 separate lawsuits have been filed in March and April. And Deshaun Watson and his lawyer, Tony Harden, I believe, they, or not Harden, I think it's Rusty Harden, my apologies, they want to settle in court. They want to settle with these women. Of course. But they want something in the settlement that states that there is no confidentiality agreement, which means that these women don't have to stay quiet and... That helps Deshaun Watson's image because if you have that confidentiality agreement, that means Deshaun Watson and his team can be like, we didn't pay these women off to be quiet. Yep. We just paid them off. We came to a deal. We came to a consensus that made sense for both of, the, both of us, and they accepted. And if the women do accept it, then on them it looks like they might have been freaking lying about it, yeah. which might not be the case, or they might just want the money because they might be offering a lot of money. But that's the language that right now they're trying to get through. They're trying to make a settlement public and have no confidentiality agreement in it. For me, as messed up as it sounds, I don't think this is scaring away any team from trying to trade for him. And the fact that the NFL has not put him on the exempt list when he has these allegations, which are disgusting, and they put players who smoke marijuana on the exemplus is pretty crazy when you think about it, yeah. how they treat these situations differently. It is pretty, it is pretty uh, eye opening. But for me, 
I do think Deshaun plays for the Texans this year. And earlier in the year, a couple months ago, I said that I think Deshaun retires before he plays for another snap for the Texans. But based on how everything is going, I think Deshaun lost all his leverage when this stuff came public. Deshaun Watson having these allegations against him, now you you really don't have that image you had before. You don't have that power. Like you don't you don't have that star quarterback power because of these allegations. He's kind of like Michael Vick of this era, but mm. it's not dogs we're talking about, like fighting dogs. Yeah. It's talking I think as as bad as fighting dogs is. That's where he went. I think this is probably a little bit worse if I'm and, being honest. And I think when you talk about Michael Vick, he owned up to everything he did immediately. He did his time and after he did his time, he came out and he was the biggest advocate against it. Mm-hmm. He Dang. talked about how when he was like that's how he was raised thinking that was normal and that's that doesn't make it okay. And he was the first person to admit it and he made steps to change Deshaun can't do that though. He came to Philly too. Exactly. With this type of situation, no, if he if out, he had, if he admits this, done. yeah, it's over for him. He's he done. can't admit something I, like I this. Just, when when everything started up, and I'm still not going to come out and say you know he's guilty and start a witch hunt, but when 22 girls come forward with similar stories and they have the, the screenshots from Instagram of him uh, apologizing, like something went wrong there. Like there was something off, and I don't know at what level, but. There is something wrong in this situation, and I do think it makes teams think twice about giving up a huge package. Like You're a team like the Dolphins that has a great young core, a great young head coach in Brian Flores, and a talent like Deshaun Watson could put you over the top, but when you don't know the baggage that that's going to come with, especially you know, it helps that these depositions aren't going to be until February 2022 because you don't have to worry about it affecting him like, the physically season. not letting him be there, but... Yeah. That cloud is going to loom, and, and when you have something like that over your head, it makes an impact on anybody. Yeah, because worst-case scenario, let's say a settlement doesn't happen and you know Deshaun gets convicted. Now the Dolphins traded everything, and they don't even have a future anymore. Exactly. And everything they exactly. worked for is done and exactly. over with. That would be crazy. And they have to start back all over again. Yeah, don't, don't even bring him over here. I yeah, that's a lot yeah. to deal with. I now mean, the I'm Eagles, the Eagles are in a position where they could get, they can have whatever go wrong. Not that's even, not, but if we anyway. do all that and we don't, he don't play, it's just like we're stuck. Like, damn. I hope it's not true because it's a disgusting story. Yeah, it is. It is pretty bad. It is pretty bad. But that's gonna do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. This was episode one hundred one, and this was Jack's first episode in a in a while. So give him a round of applause. He's doing great things right now. He has an internship with the with the Mets right now, and you're trying to do another clap. So no, it's so you know, long. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, shout out to you, man, because you've been doing some Thank great you. things, and you already know that you're always welcome back on the show. You want to do a show? You know, we're always welcome with the open arms, bro. You know, you have helped us so much on this journey that you know I give a lot of credit to you for helping us out because bro, stop speaking yeah. for me. <laughs> just play. No, thank, thank you, and I appreciate the kind words, and you guys giving me the opportunity to come on here because. Doing this and just talking to you guys and being able, to, being able to chop it up with you has taught me so much, and I've learned so much from you guys, and this experience has been great. So I appreciate you guys letting me on here and letting me back, giving me this opportunity to come back here, and I definitely will be back. You know, Maybe not as consistent as I want to, but I will definitely be back here and there because I love coming here and talking with you guys. And even when I'm not on here, I love watching you guys argue. Even like coming back here before the show, listening to you guys talk, I was like, man, nothing has changed in the time that I've left. (laughs) 
But you guys are killing it, keeping up, and you know I can't wait to see what the future holds for Pick Aside. You guys are so sentimental. Yeah, we're all appreciative over here. So you guys can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast, on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod, and this will do it for episode 101. We hope you guys all enjoyed. Hey guys, this is Al Galdi from the Al Galdi Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show that you're listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand its team podcast network and business operations. Now, Blue Wire is raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand its sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash blue wire. That's wefunder.com slash blue wire.